0: I am recording.
1: As am I. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. Joined as always uh, on the path of the contrary by my co-host Julio. But for the specifics of the summer of 2020, this unprecedented time, as I hear <laughs> two dozen times every single day, uh, <laughs> not just the summer of quarantine, not just the summer of COVID 19, but the summer of Winona. Julio, welcome back.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Very excited to take the next step on this journey, going to outer space, where where no man has gone before while <laughs> on lockdown.
1: So yeah, definitely hopping around with the um, timetable. Time is not linear here on the contrarians, as we've lined up Alien Resurrection for this episode and our next step in the summer of Winona. Um, but Long time listeners, I think like you would have had to have been listening from the very beginning, because wasn't uh, Alien Three our third episode?
0: That is correct. Man, we were like on fire back then. Alien Three was the third one. Magnificent Seven was the seventh one. <laughs> we ran out we of material it. quick.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. So we covered Alien Three. Things were a lot different back then. Uh, if you would be so inclined, after this is over, you can go back and listen to it and. Uh, definitely tell how far along we've come as far as our whole podcast presentation and our sound equipment. Cause I think we were still recording on a phone back then.
0: Oh yeah. First 10 episodes. I think were just on your phone. <laughs> and then we also
1: recorded a commentary track for the, um, loosely associated Prometheus. So we've definitely dipped our toe into the alien pool before. Uh, yes. but what separates this from the rest, Julio?
0: Uh, well, uh, one Winona writer to begin with. Uh, <laughs> also, uh, a French director. Uh, first ever female droid in the franchise, if not uh, in our entire run of contrarian episodes. Um, I don't know. So possible. many things to pick from.
1: Yes. But... You hit the nail on the head right out the bat there. The biggest separation between the two is this uh, features Miss Winona Ryder as we've thus far tackled Mr. Deeds and Beetlejuice with plenty more to come. But today's stop is 1997 with Alien Resurrection. Uh, November 26th of 1997, 20th Century Fox released this ditty. And honestly, I don't know if there is Mm -hmm. Star Wars and alien. I think I most closely associate with the 20th century Fox title that plays the dent, 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 just the way it fades in. Um, alien isolation was a video game that was released on PlayStation three. And I believe Xbox 360, a few years ago. And it starts with a very like grainy old film signature of 20th century Fox. And it definitely sets the mood correctly, but, uh, I don't That was just one of the first things that stuck out to me when I was watching this. I was like, I think I associate that signature video with this and Star Wars the most. But Alien Resurrection with that sheen that all movies in 1997 had that. Uh, I don't know which Instagram filter you'd call it, but also the thing where everything's wet. That was also a big trope in uh, <laughs> 1997. We um, have a
0: whole underwater sequence in this
1: movie. Yeah, I when I was watching that I wasn't Titanic 97.
0: Uh I think so, yeah.
1: Yeah. So we had, you know, competing bids here for most hectic underwater sequences. It's um, a
0: swimming alien versus uh oh god, what's the name of uh, Kate Winslet's fiance?
1: Oh, Billy Zane.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's more menacing underwater?
1: I really could have used fucking uh Ron Perlman in this. I hope you enjoy your time together. (laughs) So if this is your first time listening to the Contrarians, you've already spent five minutes listening to us. Circle jerk here with our inside jokes and stories, but uh, we do appreciate you tuning in. Uh, If you're a returning listener, as always, thank you. Bear with us here as we explain our gimmick for new time listeners. Um, We like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we say, find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, sometimes known as Certified Fresh, and make a case for maybe why it shouldn't be. On the inverse of that, we find a rotten movie, a nasty green splotch, and argue its positive merit. Uh, For the Summer of Winona, we're going a little bit different here. As our rotten movies, we typically stick to about 30% and below. This movie would fall into what we call a gray area, being that it's 55%. But uh, Julio and I, had the we met with the Jedi Council and basically decided for this one, we're going to treat it as a full rotten movie. So in the first portion of this, Contrarian's Corner, we'll be uh, arguing the positive merit of this movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a bonus episode, so we're allowed to bend the rules. And we have a a legitimate... Uh, gray area episode coming down later in the summer so so if you're if you're just hungry for a gray area episode don't worry it's coming later
1: or you can go listen to the a-team episode i think that's one of our (laughs) or at least my most passionate performances here yes but if if you want to know how we really feel about alien resurrection stick around for the second portion of the podcast the appropriately titled real talk where we will discuss how we really feel about it so getting down to things here uh it is fifty-five percent. That means there's a pretty overwhelming, or at least a split, uh, of critics that did not care for this Julio. So, what were they saying about this movie?
0: Yes. Uh, so, I have I only pulled the one uh, negative quote from Rotten Tomatoes because I don't know if you remember Alex, but I mentioned that uh, when I put out the call for our fellow podcasting friends to just throw in uh, clips, brief clips, with their opinions about the Winona Ryder movies that we're covering this summer. Uh, Well, Alien Resurrection proved to be one of the most popular. Everybody wanted to talk about uh, Alien Resurrection. So I have three negative clips (laughs) from friends. Uh, So we're going to start with the Rotten Tomatoes quote, and then we're going to go on to uh, just some familiar voices. But uh, we have Mike Clark from USA Today who says, Weaver obviously knows her role by now, but Winona Ryder is as much of an action hero as Julie Nixon would be, going way out of her element. Uh... I think that Mike Clark has a very narrow definition of what an action hero is. Uh, maybe he's just used to the heroes of the '80s. Maybe just the fact that she's a woman disqualifies me. Not a writer. I don't know. I was about uh, to what- say he
1: probably had to, you know, contain his raging boner at that scene where Ron Perlman repels backwards, shooting two pistols at the uh, <laughs> the xenomorph.
0: It's like, that's an action hero.
1: That's the that's the Criterion cover, that shot.
0: Yeah, if, if Winona's last name had been Schwarzenegger, then maybe he would have given her a pass. But, oh well. We have more friends, people that we actually know, with uh, some opinions. So uh, I'm going to start with our friend Paul from Film
2: Busters. Hello, this is Paul from Film Busters, and this is my take on Alien Resurrection. Firstly, I think they absolutely ruined Ripley's character in this film. She goes from a strong, independent female to suddenly saying stuff like, Who do I have to fuck to get off this boat? Horrendous dialogue. I hate it. You know, the humanoid alien aside, the film's alright and I can't enjoy the underwater scene. Until Gary from CSI decides to kill himself instead of kick a dead alien off his boot, which is so dumb and I always remember it. (laughs) You know, the the acting is quite robotic from most of the cast in this film. But at least Winona Ryder has an excuse, you know? But you gotta love Winona. She's lovely, isn't she?
0: So, Alex, did you know that that guy was uh, from CSI? Uh,
1: I did not, but my sister watched this along with me and she called out that he was. Um, Gary. Trying to think of the people. Yeah. The people I recognized from this were pretty limited. There was the Dan Hedea, the 90s yes, eyebrows course. actor. Yeah. And of course, Ron Perlman. And then the the one squirrely guy from seven to answer the question. I, there, I'm so
0: glad that you recognize that guy. We'll get to <laughs> him. <laughs>
1: uh, no, by name and by sight, I didn't recognize very many people in this movie. So that was a, a good call out.
0: Well, Gary from CSI, uh, you, you will not be forgotten. We'll get <laughs> back to you. Um, next up, we have a, uh, our friend, Sam for movie reviews in 20 Qs. Also not a fan of alien resurrection.
2: Hello Julio, hello Alex, uh, Sam Hurley here from the podcast Movie Reviews and 20Qs, good to hear from yous, well, not really actually hearing from yous, more forcing my opinion upon yous. Ah uh, yeah, Alien Resurrection, what an abysmal film, what an abysmal film. Is as bad as Alien 3? No. Is the title of the movie apt because they're trying to resurrect a dead franchise? Yes. Do they succeed on doing that? No. Is Sigourney Weaver in this and is she awesome? Yes. Is Winona Ryder a sci-fi action movie star? No. what is she doing in this movie don't get me wrong look i love winona i love her i think she's brilliant but literally one of the most bizarre castings that i've ever seen uh good luck to both of you trying to convince me that this is a good film but who knows maybe one of you will maybe one of you actually genuinely likes this movie and if you do i feel sorry for you anyway that's it that's the end bye see ya oh yeah while well, i got you julio when are you gonna send me those tasteful new- <laughs>
0: I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, so I, I, it sounds like uh, our friend Sam would agree with Mike Clark as far as uh, when our writer's bona fides to play an action hero. I guess yes. we'll get into that. Uh, and then finally, Topher from We Watch A Thing. Once again, being negative twice in a row in, in this summer.
3: Fellas, rough stuff that you're up to this film. I mean, really, take a beloved franchise, a script from Joss Whedon, direction from Jean-Pierre Jeunet, cinematography from Darius Congee in a cast that includes Ron Perlman and Brad Dourif, and you've got a film that can only be great. Right? WRONG! Resurrection is the best friend that Alien 3, which is better than its reputation would have you believe, by the way, could ever have hoped for. Gone is the Ripley we fell in love with, and In Her Place is a Terminator ripoff that doesn't deserve to have Sigourney Weaver's talents bring it to life, even if the first 90 minutes of the film had been a success, the unveiling of what we're hoping will be a monster to rival any xenomorph to have come before it in the film's climactic scenes rivals The Phantom Menace as the biggest letdown of the 90s. Ryder meanwhile is neither above nor below the action surrounding her, her contribution is simply on par with this utterly forgettable chapter in a once proud film series.
1: Boo!
0: I I love me a good boo to close a quote. That's that's always good. That
1: was very uh, Eddie Straight esque. <laughs> the boo or the entire speech. The the boo, Eddie. That well, he 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 wouldn't end a, a soliloquy with it. He you would just like say the name of something, and he would just go boo. <laughs> uh,
0: well, at least Stouffer wasn't so hard on Winona, but uh, he was hard on on pretty much everything else. <laughs>
1: That's pretty damning, man, comparing it to Phantom Menace, which, uh, of course, we've talked about on this podcast and off air plenty. I've definitely lightened up on uh, Phantom Menace in in my older years and given time to reflect upon it. And also ever since Rise of Skywalker came out. But (laughs) uh, I think that's a pretty intense statement, because no matter how we feel about it right now in 2020, I think it's universally accepted that it was a, a letdown at the time. Uh, so, comparing the two is quite crazy. Um, well, but
0: I, I think that you know he's he's comparing the disappointment, and, and I agree with him as far as uh, you know on the macro level. Uh, there's a reason why there wasn't a, another Alien movie for a while after this one came out, and I I think that the point that him and Sam made, I think it was Sam that you know mentioning Alien Three. I guess do you feel not to get too much into real talk, but do you feel that Alien Resurrection? Uh, Not personally for you, but just on a grander level, just for the industry and for fans and everything, Uh, Alien Resurrection, Elizabeth Town, Alien 3, like coming out, it suddenly made Alien 3 look better?
1: Yes, uh, specifically in certain aspects that I think will be best left for uh, real talk. But I know it's been five years since we recorded it, but I don't remember really being as down on Alien 3 as a lot of people the I mean the Alien franchise, it, James Cameron uh, with Aliens, but um, is a lot of what we discussed uh, in the, our Terminator saga that we did with Chaz about how it's so fascinating that like the first two in this franchise are regarded as these all-time seminal films, but the rest of the franchise is bumpy at best. Yep. Uh, we'll get to that later, but um, so and just for my shits and gigs, I did look up to see where the comparisons with Phantom Menace and Alien Resurrection ended. And uh, I will say that uh, Alien Resurrection made approximately one-tenth of the box (laughs) office that Star Wars Phantom Menace made. So God bless it. man.
0: But I mean, even if you compare, I don't know, A New Hope versus the original Alien you're you're ready you know it's a bigger franchise oh Star yeah Wars. yeah
1: abs- absolutely i was just curious for my own uh pedantic needs and uh, it's fitting uh on tuesday it'll be the 21st uh i guess phantom menace will turn 21 years old
0: <laughs> so we're celebrating by by recording an episode about <laughs> alien resurrection, alien resurrection. <laughs> the phantom menace of the alien franchise
1: <laughs> and then also just kind of while uh we were going on there was a video game that was released based on alien resurrection for the sony playstation fittingly uh it was based on alien resurrection which came out in 1997 and this video game came out in october of 2000
0: <laughs> and you already told me winona Ryder has not licensed her likeness so why even bother
1: yeah and i doubt uh sigourney weaver would later go on to license her likeness for different games avatar and is, i feel like there's another one but uh doesn't look like that's to be the case here. So speaking of Sigourney Weaver, I would say the the woman of the hour. But of course, we're here to discuss Winona. But you can't justly talk about the Alien franchise without uh, talking about uh, Ripley, Sigourney Weaver. And when we left off in Alien 3, you would have thought there was a pretty definitive ending to it. But
0: <laughs> You would have thought so. But, uh, you know, you, you hadn't met Joss Whedon in that case.
1: Okay, so I'm reading this right now on the Wikipedia summation, and if they said this, I didn't catch it. But she was. Uh, so essentially, what happens is we're in the year 23, 2379, and that is 200 years after the events of Alien 3. And we have these scientists, right, that are like trying to clone Ripley, and they're yes. using it, I guess, uh, for. Or from DNA samples before she was incinerated, which. Uh,
0: before she was incinerated, but after she'd been infected, uh, you know. Because the whole point is, they don't want to clone her because she's Ripley. They want to clone her because she had uh, an alien inside of her.
1: Yes. So each clone they make has this embryo of uh, a xenomorph in it. So we get like this test tube Sigourney Weaver, and then she completely, like, and then the next time we see her, she's got her combat boots on and she has become Glenn Danzig for the duration <laughs> of the movie. Every time she came on screen, I just wanted to start singing Mother because, like, they have like. <laughs> That weird late '90s, like dystopian, futuristic, like um, they would put like a like almost like a smoky, like powder on your face to show that it's dirty and grimy in the future. So it really, really just made her cheekbones so sharp, and the way like her hair is all like greasy the entire time and slicked back. Yeah. Point being, I'm gonna listen to a lot of Misfits after we record this episode. I
0: thought you were gonna uh, say that you were gonna uh, you're gonna watch The Hangover Three again.
1: Uh, No, I've watched that once this year and I've I've met my my quota. (laughs) You're good for the decade. Yes. Uh, So the scientists, we get like an operation scene. It's kind of, um, it's to forebode what comes in Prometheus in terms of the operating table and the removal of the the embryo inside of Ripley. Because essentially, if my understanding is correct, they're wanting to remove this and basically grow and fester these for science experiments.
0: Yeah, I mean, the. I think that starting with the second movie, the one of the through lines of the entire franchise is humanity's obsession with uh, somehow getting a hold of a, of a xenomorph and just domesticating it. <laughs> I guess eventually weaponize it. But one of the cool things about this movie is that we finally see that happen, right? Uh, for three straight movies, there's been kind of this it's been this goal of the main bad guys sort of, you know, sometimes it's very direct and sometimes it's just in the background, but it's like, we want to catch an alien so we can just make the alien our, our, our pet our and also our weapon. And here it finally happens. They, they finally done it. You know, also I hadn't made the connection that, uh, that little operation that they're doing. in Sigourney is an echo of what happens in Prometheus because Prometheus, if you go by the timeline, right? It's, so much earlier in the history of the alien universe. Mm-hmm. what's her name was having her 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 procedure before Ripley was even born,
1: yeah. there's actually at the beginning and the end, there's two scenes that mirror Prometheus uh, pretty well. and I, I really got a kick out of that,
0: so they planned this, Alex. I don't know who is being accusing the alien franchise of not knowing where they're going. 1997, Joss Whedon and Jean-Pierre Jeunet, they already knew that Prometheus was coming down the line.
1: They knew they knew what they were setting the groundwork for. So interestingly enough, uh Danzig's clones can keep Ripley's memories. So I guess for whatever reason, this DNA they've assimilated anytime they clone it, it still has Ripley's memory, so it can like talk and
0: I don't know. I, I think that it, she hasn't developed yet or rather we see her throughout the movie develop a personality uh, that is not at all like the personality she used to have you know she doesn't become ripley she has some ripley traits but she she kind of becomes her own person uh
1: one thing i noticed right off the bat was a very um you know for someone like me that you want to listen to our fly episode uh that is very much in favor of practical effects. I found a really nice balance here. You could tell it was you know late '90s CGI in certain parts. Specifically, uh, the there's a bug that starts the movie that's clearly a CGI, and then also this really cool. I guess the way they drink scotch in the future is it's a buoyant cube, and then <laughs> yes, yeah. I guess you shine a laser on it and it turns into liquid. But but besides that, you know, I wait, think some wait. of the
0: the the bug. So are you talking about the opening with yeah. the with the straw? Yeah. Oh, so you watched the uh, the extended the two thousand three.
1: Oh, is that it? Okay, because I just watched uh, the first version. I came across and yeah, so...
0: the it has a different opening because uh, the theatrical. I watch both, so so we're we're okay either way. All right. <laughs> and, and I Ooh. think, like I told you before we started recording, the differences are minimal. I mean, it's seven minutes of footage that you know it's just an extra joke or, or two. But uh, okay,
1: good. This could have gotten weird. I start talking. And you're like, what the fuck are you
0: talking about? <laughs> uh the but the opening they
1: don't go to Mars
0: <laughs> the the opening of uh of the theatrical is just uh close-ups of what you eventually later down in the movie realize are uh Ripley's clones as they grow ah. so it's just like these deformed I don't know misshapen things and and you know you don't know what's going on and then later when you finally meet the clones you realize oh that's what I was looking at at the beginning but yeah no the, I I kind of I, I, I think the that opening with the bug is so quirky and so much a statement of, uh, Jean-Pierre Jeunet just saying, Hey, I am not like the previous three guys that directed movies in this franchise. <laughs> I'm French.
1: So yeah, that, that was all to say there's, there's a really nice balance of practical and CGI in this movie. And a lot of it in the later uh, acts really relies on practical effects, which I do appreciate. Uh, we are introduced to a group of space pirates, not unlike Corsair and his band of misfits and the X-Men <laughs> Phoenix saga, nice. uh, led by Ron Perlman, who plays uh, Ron. I didn't catch that his name was Ron <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, and also in there is um, Michael Wincott Ra- <laughs> and uh, Tuco from Breaking Bad. Yes. Raymond and Cruz.
0: I was wondering if you were going to recognize him. I I did not at
1: first. Lillian called it out, and I was like, holy shit, that is. And then I just spent time remembering how fucking crazy Tuco was on Breaking Bad. (laughs) But what's brought us here, what's causing all this is Miss Winona Ryder, and she plays Call, the quirky young upstart of the group. Um, They are delivering hostages, if I caught this correctly, or basically. uh, Yeah, they're,
0: they're people that don't even know that they have been kidnapped.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, There was basically an arrangement worked out where they, the ship that Ripley's on, uh, run by the military, they are delivering what we find out become basically test experiments.
0: Yeah. So basically, imagine that you, uh, you, I don't know, you booked a cruise uh, and went into hibernation so that you would be woken up whenever you reach your destination, but then these, Mm -hmm. these pirates hijack your ship and they steal you and all your companions while you're still in hibernation. And then next time you, when you wake up, you're actually uh, about to be inseminated by an alien.
1: (laughs) So Dan Hedia, uh, he plays the general of all this. He's barking orders and he's there present with his domineering eyebrows. I don't really think he has much of a, any type of real presence in the
0: movie per
1: se, but, He's just there to kind of keep shit in line.
0: I mean, he's Dan Hedaya. I mean, he's just I, this might be the only Dan Hedaya in space movie that exists, uh, and that alone makes it special. I don't know how far you got into your 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 Cheers run, but have you have you seen him show up in Cheers yet?
1: No, I'm still I'm finishing out the second season, so he hasn't shown up yet.
0: Well, you have that to look forward to. <laughs> Okay. And then when that happens, you can rewatch Alien Resurrection and kind of get a kick out of seeing uh, Carla's husband or ex husband suddenly be a a general, a captain in outer space.
1: An intergalactic leader. Yes. So the group, do they have a name, these space pirates? I don't think Uh, they do.
0: No. Their ship is the Betty, which. The Betty.
1: And the ship that all the the chaos ensues on is the. Eriga? Ar- I can't remember how they pronounce it.
0: Oh, I missed but- that, but they the main computer, they called it uh father, which is another future callback to Prometheus.
1: <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, there is definitely a father scene or a mother scene rather that we'll get to later on this. Um <laughs> anyway, the, the the Betty crew, they start roaming around the ship and they come across uh Ripley who's playing basketball and the Is this or is this not the sexiest scene ever involving a basketball in a movie?
0: Yes. Uh, Ever involving basketball and probably ever involving Ron Perlman.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, startling in the tonal shift of this scene and how much like I I I would venture to think that, you know, Perlman had to have been rocking a half chub with how close she was getting to him (laughs) and like how like. She's so damn sexy in this scene, it's ridiculous.
0: Uh, I'm not even a basketball person, and I, I was I was getting the sweats. It was uh <laughs> it was pretty cool. And it also this is all about basically reintroducing us to the character the, the new Ripley. Because this Ripley, like we mentioned, is nothing like the previous Ripley's, uh, which is which is good. I think that the original Ripley had an arc, and that arc ended at the end of Alien 3. And if the franchise is going to continue with this character, then we need to change her up. And so this is basically where we realize that this new Ripley is kind of superhuman, right? I mean she goes up against not just Ron Perlman, but the entire the entire crew. She goes up against uh Gary from CSI and then the 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 hot pilot, I guess this woman with the really tight pants, and then Winona herself.
1: Yeah, and this I think at this point too the Ripley 8 is becoming pretty self-aware in terms of how domineering her presence is and how because she's basically uh a super athlete a super being she's fucking you know Chris Evans after he came out of the tube in Captain America <laughs> the sexiness isn't just contained to Sigourney Weaver in this movie but i feel she excels at it at a different level
0: um well she's been she's been on this game longer you know the alien game so she's i guess they gave her the chance to to just play with uh, a different register in this movie and she just went for it I mean,
1: yeah, she she's been around the block too. You got to remember, this clone is hundreds of years old. It was <laughs> it was on Tinder way back in the day. It, it knows what what it's doing.
0: Well, yeah. Also, let us not forget, uh, Ripley got laid in Alien Three. Yeah, with with ease. You know, I mean, granted, she was the only woman in a in a prison planet full of men. But she she had her her pick of the litter, and she picked the uh, the doctor. And uh, so it's not like. As an audience, definitely as a fan of the franchise, it's not like you've never seen uh, Ripley as a sexual being. It's just that you've never seen her as aggressively sexual as she is in this movie.
1: All the parts came together. No pun intended. Yeah. And the next scene, moving right along, I have in my notes, sexy alien kissing scene. This is... This doctor that's conducting these experiments on the alien is basically just trying to test its reflexes, but also I guess just trying to get it to mimic its actions. So this fucker's like putting his tongue and mouth up against the glass. And uh it reminded me of like a uh coronavirus version of that scene in T2 where the security guard at the mental hospital licks Linda Hamilton's face. Yep. Except this is like, you know, they're keeping their distance behind the glass here. <laughs>
0: Well, it's the future, so yeah, it's <laughs> still a lot more, uh, It's still
1: very inappropriate and borderline assault on this alien, but it, you know, at least that uh, they're not gonna get, one's not gonna get the other one sick.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's humanity, though, of course, just doing what humanity does because. Uh, As soon as we catch, we finally catch these aliens and we start studying them, of course, we have to sexualize them. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Everything's
1: got to be wet in this movie. There's a reason for it.
0: (laughs) You got to show those protruding nipples. uh, But that's true. uh,
1: This movie captures that. That's what would happen. Humans are so fucking dumb and so sex driven. Yeah, it's only natural that after 15 minutes of experiments on this alien, you're like, well, where's its dick? Like, where where does... (laughs) How does this thing, you know, jack off? What are, what are we dealing with here? And you know that, that may sound curt, but that's that's how humans work. That's eventually where their mind's going to go.
0: But also, I mean, this is fascinating. And again, I really appreciate how this movie deviates, or rather, moves forward from where the franchise was going. Uh, so here, again, we've captured the aliens, so we get to see them interact, trying to teach them stuff, trying to study them, taking care of them, feeding them. Uh, and and even disciplining them because the whole point I guess of this sequence is that when the when the alien gets mad and, and kind of snaps at the guy, he pushes a button that releases, I don't know some sort of gas or or something that hurts the alien. And then next time that the aliens gonna attack, the scientist just puts his hand over the button without pushing it and the alien stops showing you, oh shit, this is you know, they're they're super smart. They're smarter than we would have guessed from the last three movies. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. It, it's uh, a
0: revelation. Like like when we saw that zombies could run, it's like oh wow, yes. we've taken the next leap into into a new threat.
1: Um, the sexiness does not stop there. I'm looking at my notes because the next line begins <laughs> with "sexy" in my notes. Uh, this can you tell it was directed by a French guy? Not uh, well. That's fitting. Not unlike the first scene in "Blue Is the Warmest Color," to do meets. Adele for the first time at that lesbian bar where Adele orders strawberry milk. I don't remember why I, or I don't know why I remember that, I should say, but because it was so like, what? Like, it took me out of the scene that it was very specific. Uh, Winona Ryder stumbles into uh, Ripley 8's, uh, I don't know, her catacomb, just where (laughs) she sleeps and eats batteries. I don't know what the fuck she does in there, but very sensual. Very heavy eye contact, very heavy, you know, um, tension between the two. There's there's bated breath and bet- while they discuss, talk about, you know, introductions and while they discuss, you know, what each other's purpose is. And uh, almost like you would think to a comical extent, like this is something you would see in like uh, an MTV movie where the, the romance kicks off for the first time. I don't know yeah. about you. I was, I was getting revved up for what was about to follow.
0: Well, I think that uh, this is where it benefits... You, as, as an audience member, benefit from having watched the previous entries in the in the franchise. I think that if you're coming into Alien Resurrection Cold and you this is your first introduction to the character of Ripley, then it, it might be a little weird, kind of over the top, to see just that, the raw uh, sexual tension between these two characters. But just the fact that she is, by now, we've realized that she's not human, right? She's even part alien. Uh, earlier, during the basketball game, she she got hit and she was bleeding and then her blood started smoking on the ground so we know that she has alien mm-hmm. blood sort of so i think that when you factor all those all those elements in then this scene makes perfect sense this is just more about showing us that this this is not this is not david fincher's ripley this is not james cameron's ripley this is not ridley scott's ripley this is just uh, somebody completely new somebody who might have sex with another writer We don't know. That's part of the excitement. (laughs) It's
1: uh, very tantalizing and titillating, to say the very least. And uh, it's safe to say, though, if you stick with the movie, it pays off and you understand why this chemistry is what it is later on. So the alien, is this the movie that introduced the
0: acid spit? No. As far as, are you talking about the alien itself spitting acid? I want to say it happened on, on the second one.
1: Yeah, I feel like he the, an alien spit on one of the helmets and it melted it. But anyway, this so what happens here is this alien basically creates this circle of acid and just uh, in a um, very Chaplin esque or like a, an old cartoon <laughs> to where you know it falls and you just keep hearing it fall through the different stories of the building. <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> no, but it's not. That's not just alien spit. They kill one of their own. And then the the the, the acid intra so the, of the dead aliens. The
1: point is though, like these aliens wise up, they're like, hey, if we use this, like if we split this open with all this acid, it's gonna pool on the ground and create a hole for us to get through.
0: <laughs> yeah. The main goes like, okay, I need a volunteer. Yeah.
1: It's like, wait, am I gonna die doing this? <laughs> nah, man, you're gonna be all right. It's like uh, the South Park movie, the military operation human shield. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so this is their way they escape. This is this is how they win, as uh, Adam Sandler would say. And it's you would think with all these years of research and uh, that glass partition that separates them, they would think not to just put like a fucking, you know, plywood floor underneath them.
0: <laughs> well, once again, humanity, uh, sometimes, you know, they the need naivety to fuck of up, man. Yeah, they need to fuck up this badly in order for them to learn next time they capture an alien. <laughs> Hey yeah. the, the glass panel has to be all around not just not just one wall.
1: So these aliens escape and so shit's getting crazy. Yeah the it's not the acid spit, it's the the dribble, basically the the like a slug's line of slime it leaves behind it because the next scene we see this alien just trotting and some of the slime it leaves on one of the grates it crawls across drips and causes chaos so the point is i think these aliens are about as dangerous as they've ever been in the franchise
0: yeah i think that every movie with every subsequent movie they get messier uh just sloppier and they just you know drip everywhere because the alien from the first movie (laughs) <laughs> the Jason it, uh, Voorhees principle. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, in the first movie, I remember the the there's one moment where like the acid blood or whatever drips, and it's it's a huge deal. And then you know, four movies down the line or three movies down the line, it's just there's acid blood everywhere. Nobody even cares. You know, they're mm-hmm. the, the busier, they're the bigger things to worry about. So the
1: killing spree begins, as one would imagine. Isn't this, if I remember correctly, this is where. Dan Hedeia meets his end.
0: Yes, but I was I was surprised because honestly I expected him to just bail, but like a good he captain, does have he, that
1: weaselly face, like he you know he yeah. would have been up him in Saving Private Ryan where he would have figured out how to get out of there.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, th- he. I mean, he's busy directing people to the skatepots. He's actually concerned for for the survival of his crew, and of course that ends up doing him in.
1: Oh yeah, then he gets the back of his head eaten out by. Uh, what is that called? The protruding mouth that comes out of the xenomorph. Does it have a name?
0: Alien Peanuts.
1: <laughs> Jesus. There you go. <laughs> I
0: mean, it kind of looks like it.
1: <laughs> it shoots out and it does its job.
0: Yeah. Uh, how do you like uh arm hair? He's got a powerful game of arm hair.
1: Uh, I want to believe that was like, you know, he wasn't going to do the movie if they were going to make him shave his arms.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, that shot, the, the shot where the arm hair is revealed, is is very much designed to highlight the arm hair because it's backlit yes. so it looks like for maybe half a second you may think that there's a werewolf subplot happening in the middle of an alien movie <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a full moon and then they just woke up he meets
1: his end though as do a lot of people on the ship Ripley ends up killing one of the aliens with a shotgun I can't remember exactly what she used but there's a lot of death in this movie a lot of explosions a lot of slime and acid flying everywhere
0: yeah uh, Michael Winka is uh, the guy that Basically, the first he's the captain of the pirates and he's the first one to meet his demise.
1: That's right. Yeah, and he gets it bad too.
0: Yeah, he gets but he it's it's the dumbest thing at the same time, very human, very relatable. He just wants more guns. And especially yes. you and I, you know, we live in Texas, so we are familiar with this. That you know, he, he just wanted more guns. I mean, he's carrying like three assault rifles already, and and they're on their way back to the Betty, but he can't help himself. He sees another weapon down a hallway, he goes down there to retrieve it, grabs it, and then he sees another weapon <laughs> further down. <laughs> he goes get that one, and then the alien gets him. Uh, moral of yeah. the story, sometimes you have enough weapons.
1: <laughs> sometimes you don't need an assault rifle
0: when you just live in a normal house and have a family. Even in the middle of an alien attack. Sometimes maybe it's okay to just walk away from that fifth gun. <laughs> a
1: hunting rifle will do you <laughs> just fine. <laughs> So the crew from the Betty, along with Ripley, they're now on the the move to try to get out because, you know, the aliens are loose and that's Ripley knows exactly what this is going to bring. As they try to formulate their escape plan, they wander past a room labeled seven and Ripley looks at her arm and has the eight tattoo. And she goes in and basically sees the failed previous Ripley experiments,
0: maybe the creepiest, most disturbing sequence in all of the alien franchise.
1: Yeah. And then she finds the one that's like almost completed and then has to, like, mercy kill it. Essentially, I was thinking of this, like, it's Orlando Bloom walks into a room, and, like, one of the tubes is, like, Jason Patrick, and then one is uh, uh, Josh Hartnett, and then, like, the the one on the table that's not completed is Josh Dumal, and uh, Orlando Bloom realizes, like, what's going on, and he has to wipe him out before Transformers comes out.
0: You are giving Orlando Bloom uh, a lot of credit or bloom's career a lot of credit in this scenario
1: well okay so maybe not orlando bloom but who would be like that
0: no it would be a uh what's the guy from uh, geostorm
1: oh shit jim sturgis
0: well i was gonna say Gerald butler
1: <laughs> oh god either way yes <laughs> so orlando bloom would be in one of the tubes he'd be like in um he'd be in his costume from three musketeers but like all you know like <laughs> curled up and, like, a mouth growing out of his ear. But, yeah, Gerard Butler would realize his fate of what to come and torch everybody and get out of there. Good call.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, but but I guess my main thought is this is not how you mercy kill someone. You mercy kill someone by just putting a bullet in their head. You don't burn them alive. And I think this just underlines how inhuman this new Ripley is, right? She just... She understands she needs to put them out of their misery, but she doesn't understand that shooting a flamethrower at them is not the, the fastest way of achieving that. It's like, and, I
1: uh, not I, Robot. What was that other Will Smith movie about the future? Uh, I Am Legend.
0: Where he kills he a has dog?
1: To, yeah, but in the most soul-crushing way possible. <laughs> like, you got to end this shit like the fly, man. Just shotgun to the head.
0: <laughs> man. Gina Davis wouldn't be able to pull the trigger at all in this uh, in this scenario if she had been Ripley.
1: She would just be looking at all of them and say, I don't know what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> but yeah, so Ripley now is beginning to like grow feelings, which up until this point she hadn't really expressed any because doesn't she starts crying in this scene?
0: Yeah, I mean and- nothing nothing shakes you to the core like seeing a bunch of uh failed clones of yourself. Suffering okay. in, in one single room.
1: But yeah, so she torches the whole room to make sure those experiments are no more and kind of, like we said, puts the other clones out of their misery. Thus begins endless wandering. Uh, they just like run, running around the ship in no clear cut direction. So by um, now, uh,
0: by now they've joined because uh, one member of the crew that we actually haven't mentioned yet is uh, uh, the guy on the futuristic wheelchair, kind of like the, the future version of Franklin uh, from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> His, yes. Uh, you know, guys in wheelchairs in horror movies have come a long way since since the original Chainsaw Massacre. Because this guy, I mean, his chair is actually uh, sturdy. He's a badass. And, he's got a it's gun. He's badass. He has weapons in it and and, and everything. But uh, so he's he was kind of lost, and he's joined the the group by now. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh,
1: Dominic uh, P- Pignon? yes, the gentleman. Yeah. He's a apparently a pretty accomplished French actor. I had not recognized him from much else.
0: He's in uh, I, I knew him from other uh, Jean Pierre Jeunet movies. He's in Amelie and he's in Delicatessen, and he's there for the for the art house crowd. You know, the people that came okay. to watch Alien Resurrection because they were following uh, the director's career, not because they were following the Alien franchise.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so they wander, they find the Wiener guy from seven. What's that guy's
0: name? Leland Orser. Who had okay. a hell of a run in the '90s? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, he's he's in Seven. He's the guy that uh, is tortured by giving the, they give him the the blade strap on right, and they force him to have sex with a with a prostitute.
1: Yeah, so, I when that movie was being explained to me by Lillian while we were watching it, because she called it out, uh, and then I eventually remembered him from Seven. I realized how much of Seven I've kind of just blocked from my memory. I've only
0: seen it <laughs> once, and it it's a <laughs> It's a rough watch. <laughs> uh, he's Well, he's in it, and so he's acting there, obviously. You know, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman find him, and he's traumatized. He can barely talk, and he's just, like, oh, jittery and jumpy. And then, I don't know if you remember him, but he's also in Saving Private Ryan. He is uh, the only survivor of a plane that has crashed, and Tom Hanks and his gang, like, find him. And, of course, he's traumatized, he's jittery, he's shaky, he, he can barely talk at first, and... Uh, and now, he's Alien Resurrection, <laughs> they find him. He's the only survivor of this cargo <laughs> that was hijacked by the pirates. He is uh, he's jittery. He, is, <laughs> he can barely talk. He's freaking out. And apparently, he has an alien inside of him.
1: He is also, I didn't recognize him by name, but by sight, I can confirm he's also in one of my all-time favorite uh, dark comedies, Very Bad Things. And he is also very nervous and jittery in that movie.
0: So that's his thing. Is that a very bad thing? Is that a 90s movie?
1: Oh, yeah. It is a 90s movie. Uh So the
0: 90s were just, if you needed somebody that was jittery and nervous. The
1: party was never going to end. Yeah. He just, <laughs> constant Scarface amounts of Coke just on his dining room table. <laughs> so the evading continues. Help me out here. Why was there rushing water on a spaceship?
0: Um, because I'm assuming that they, they needed a pool <laughs> I don't know I mean it's you're in you're in outer space you don't know when you're going to need water so you need a reserve of, of, of water I, I I don't know Alex I work for uh, I don't work for this company if you ask me I would say hey if, if we can afford it sure go ahead do it better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it
1: He said oh, we have 20th century fox money we do whatever we want
0: <laughs> what haven't we seen yet Swimming Aliens.
1: Oh, man, this came out. I was looking it up to see if the comparison could be made. This came out three weeks after. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Titanic came out after this. Titanic came out three weeks after this. So, Titanic stole this sequence from Alien Resurrection.
0: That makes sense. That sounds more likely.
1: (laughs) And Alien Resurrection made one-twentieth of the box office return that Titanic made. What a shame. What a travesty.
0: Well, contrary to popular belief, uh, sometimes getting there first is not the, the wisest thing.
1: <laughs> the first guy through the gates always gets bloodied. <laughs> yes. So, anyway, in a very uh, reminiscent of Titanic scene, they have to swim through the flooded kitchen to try to get to the other side. Uh, they're, of course, the goal is they're trying to get to the one remaining getaway ship. And so, I have in my notes here, a preposterous underwater sequence. Uh, because, like, the lungs on these people, man. The,
0: <laughs> well, I mean... We're
1: underwater for, like, six minutes.
0: Okay, but some of them, right? Uh, the thing is, in this future, we don't know what kind of cybernetic enhancements they may have. Fair. I mean, also, so Sigourney is not human, so she gets a pass. Winona... Shortly after we find out she's not human, so she also gets a pass.
1: Oh, uh, we know an is not human in our hearts.
0: <laughs> uh really, like the only people that I would know for sure are human human uh are uh Tuco, because he looks just like a regular soldier and uh and the bad the evil doctor. Uh even Leland Orser, you know, he's he has an alien inside him now, so that maybe gives him more adrenaline, extra lung uh space. I don't know. More capacity, uh, and then you know, as far as the pirates, you know, Ron Perlman, Gary from CSI, uh, Dominic Pinon, like they might be outfitted with some sort of you know enhancements that we just can't see at plain sight because they they have a lot of stuff that kind of reveals itself as the story goes along, right? Uh, you know, the Dominic Pinon has those weapons in his uh, wheelchair. Uh, Gary from CSI has the the guns attached to his uh, to his wrists, mm-hmm. and then Ron Perlman has a thermos that becomes a a rocket launcher or something. <laughs> so I, I'm pretty sure they had some sort of breathing apparatus underneath. They're pirates. They cyber pirates. They they, can, <laughs> they can go along with everything. And you know what? I don't care as, because the point of it is that we get to see aliens swimming in a very graceful, <laughs> awe-inspiring sequence among all the blood shit. It's just uh, it takes you back. You know, it's, it's like just... National
1: Geographic shit.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> Disney Nature <laughs> now on IMAX. The alien in his in his habitat.
1: There is an ecosystem within this new world. 300 <laughs> years in the future.
0: <laughs> you get Morgan Freeman to narrate it. The alien has spotted spray. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was a girl who gets Hillard is the character's name. Uh, yes. Who does not make it through this journey. And she knew she wasn't going to because she's the last one to go underwater. And she starts crying before she does. It's a sad way to see her go. Yeah, um,
0: she was also the the least. Uh, I, I like this movie a lot, and and I mean, obviously, there's two other super strong female characters, but uh, this other girl, I mean, there's a reason we've barely mentioned there so far, mm-hmm. and that's because uh, I think her one trait is that uh, she was hooking up with uh, Michael Wincott, and Michael Wincott died like 20 minutes ago, so really there was no reason for her to stay to stick around. So she's the next to go
1: as they escape up, um, fire escape ladder type gimmick. Uh, the xenomorph is on their case. Uh, Christy, who I believe is the gentleman from CSI.
0: Yeah. Gary,
1: Gary. So he sacrifices himself to buy the group some time. The, this is where my notes say Winona dot, dot, dot shot because <laughs> the evil doctor Ren, uh, Winona Ryder, you know, to talk about the naivety of man. He's just like, throw me the gun. She throws him the gun. He's like, God, you're stupid and shoots her. It, <laughs> it plays out like almost like something from a naked gun movie. Uh, but he shoots Winona Ryder. She takes a hell of a belly flop off the <laughs> the rafters that she's hanging on into back into the water. And of course, the group is beside themselves. This is also where we get last action hero, Ron Perlman, when he um, like you would do on the monkey bars when you were a kid. Uh, you put the bar Below your knee pits and then you, so you can hang backwards. He just does that. shoot the other kids. (laughs) Yeah. But he has two pistols and is firing at a gigantic, presumably 300 pound alien. And he hits it in the head and it causes it to explode. I do appreciate that's their defense mechanism. Like when they're wounded.
0: Yeah. uh, Gary from CSI gets, uh, gets two-faced here. And I think that's why he kills himself. He's
1: lost his looks. You know, that's, that's all he had left in this world.
0: He wanted to, he'd rather die a hero.
1: Um, so, my next note, Winona dot 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 alive <laughs> uh, as she comes and opens the hatch. She somehow, I don't know, she can teleport or some shit or she's got stealth camo, but she snuck by. She uh, helps them get out of like the it's like a ventilation system or something. But she helps the crew, the remaining Betty crew and also um, Ripley eight. So they're like, how the hell are you alive? And she lifts her vest open and we see that she's an Android. And just to verify fucking Sigourney Weaver, like fists, her rib cage. She like puts her whole hand inside and then pulls it out. And she's got all that, like, um, the, again, Prometheus, it's the same type of goo that's like leaking from Fossbender's head when he gets Uh decapitated. And she like looks at it and she examines it and she's like, wait a minute, you're not human.
0: (laughs) But we notice actually probably my favorite aspect of uh, of alien resurrection is the fact that the Android because you know that's it's a staple of the franchise. You always have an Android in the movie. yeah, and sometimes they're evil, sometimes they're they're good. And sometimes, like in this movie, they're self-hating, which is the first time and only time I've seen it in the franchise and you know, because she starts by pretending that she's okay. Because she's, but she's human. And she's like, oh no, I, I it, the, the shot wasn't that bad. And then somebody else outs her. I think Tuko is the one that figures it out, right? Tuko goes like, oh no, you are like the newest model and whatever. And yeah. uh, once she is outed as a, as an android, just the shame that washes over her. It, when honestly, you would think that she'd be pretty proud of it, right? I mean, she is easily. You could argue that she's more advanced than say Ron Perlman, it, who's just kind of a an oaf with guns. Uh, but Winona is kind of like a, this cybernetic uh, being that's super hot on top of that. So the, the the idea that, you know, suddenly you have this this robot that's ashamed of being a robot, we haven't seen it uh, in the franchise yet. And actually, I don't think you see it very often in fiction. Uh, certainly not in the Alien franchise. And uh, so that's, that's pretty cool because that just basically plays out through the rest of the movie.
1: So this segues into, like, Yet another romantic scene with Monona Ryder and Sigourney Weaver. It's a version of Wedding Crashers when uh Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams are on the beach together playing that like game with their hands to see who can like hit each other first. It's <laughs> but of course the sheen of the beach and the, the wind and the breeze is washed away and we're stuck in this dark and dank and wet ship. But the 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 level of uh flirtation and uh desire is still there it's my note says uh was this supposed to be a lesbian robot love story which it really feels like it, it's a plausible uh I, josh uh, Josh whedon I, I mean that's why he made firefly eventually right
0: yes <laughs> i think that they could have explored it certainly in a sequel after laying the foundation here uh I think Ron Perlman is uh, playing the the Bradley Cooper character if we're going with uh, Wedding Crasher's comparison where he's just no, I, a complete asshole. I
1: think in like the extended cut of this, he's Sean William Scott in American Pie 2 where he figures out what's going on. He's like, wait, they're not lesbians. They're bisexual. <laughs> I could work this in my favor. <laughs> so anyway, during this romance and budding love story, they plug Call, Winona Ryder, into the ship and essentially what she does is they know they can make it to the escape vessel. They'll be out of there. But th- for the rest of the ship, they uh, set it for a collision course with Earth with the idea that it's just going to eviscerate all of the aliens on deck.
0: Yeah. it's uh, You know, it's funny because I was thinking when the big reveal happens, because the ship is heading back to Earth no matter what, right? That that was like the, the emergency protocol is that if something happens, the ship returns to home base, which is Earth. and. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, once that's revealed, because at first they were just going to take off, the, their plan was to get to the Betty and leave. But then once they find that out, they're like, oh, no, we can't do that. We have to destroy the ship first. And uh, it just it just seems so quaint in, in a very adorable way. Uh, having seen now uh, Aliens vs. Predator and Aliens vs. Predator Requiem, you know, now I know what happens when aliens arrive on Earth and it's really not that big a deal. So. When I see people here in Alien Resurrection reacting with horror and like, oh, my God, we must do something, you know, because because they find out that the aliens are a ship with aliens is heading toward Earth. I just kind of chuckled. I was like, oh, if you guys only knew, it's going to be OK. This entire ship could land on Earth. The aliens would come out. And it's going to be taken care of. There's a bunch of plucky teenagers and a couple of cops that, that will handle it eventually. <laughs>
1: So their plan is, we're going to turn this ship into a meteor, like a a comet that's going to hit Earth, and then we'll land right behind it, and everything will be all right. Right. So they make their way to the escape pod. Uh, On the way, Ripley falls through the grate and into the abyss she goes, and where she lands, we find out momentarily. Uh, So the rest of the crew, the Betty crew, make their way to the escape pod. Just leave her behind,
0: because... You know, times of the essence.
1: Yeah, we'll circle back to Ripley in a minute. So we get on board. Uh, the Betty Crew is getting ready to go. Dr. Wren shows back up and he has uh, Winona Ryder hostage and he's like, I'm going to fucking kill her if you don't, you know, call this whole thing off. We got to preserve these aliens, yada, yada, yada. So then, uh, I already forgot his name. What's our homeboy's name? Leland.
0: Um, yeah, Leland Urser.
1: Leland Urser. He, uh, you know, don't introduce a gun in the first act without using it in the third. <laughs> so right now it's, you know, um, fuck it's any number of comedies we could name where the the water breaks at the most inopportune time so he <laughs> he feels this chest burster about to come out and so like he uh <laughs> I guess you could call this like the the sacrifice, the you know, the suicide bomber, the kamikaze, whatever phrase you want to <laughs> use, but he feels it coming, so he just like runs at Ren and is like and he's like basically trying you know, it's <laughs> it's like something from Jackass where one of the guys would get out of the porta potty that was tipped over and they run and try to hug somebody. Like and he's just he runs up and I, I'm jesting about this because like I don't want to underplay how incredible the climax to this is. So he <laughs> he goes and he grabs Ren and then, like, he beats him down. So Ren's on his knees and then Orser's standing behind him. So the chest burster comes out of his chest and then goes completely through Ren's head. It's fucking incredible.
0: It's amazing. And everybody else in the crew, like, you know, Ron Perlman, Winona Ryder, Dominique Pinon, Tuco, all the survivors are just like watching us. And like, what the fuck just happened?
4: That's.
1: <laughs> no, no, that's. They take about a second to do that and then they just start unloading round after round into each of them. And we are just seeing it from the perspective of behind Leland. And it's just like, you know, they're just flailing wildly, getting shot up. There's just blood and viscera flying everywhere. It's it's absolutely outstanding. Big fan.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's probably the most badass thing that Leland Urser did in the nineties or ever. And knowing knowing his career as we do now. I mean, that's that's saying something.
1: So we go back to her circling back to Ripley. She lands on a bed of aliens and they're all just kind of slinking around and squirming. And um, and so she just kind of falls through and she falls to the bottom again. This ship is gigantic. She's in yet another set of catacombs where uh, now the doctor who worked with these aliens is like um, part of the, the cocoon. He's... <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's pretty straightforward science fiction type presentation, but this is where the whole thing goes awry. Uh, is this the first alien? I, you'll have to forgive me. It's been so long since I've seen the other two. Is this the first one where we see the queen?
0: No, we I mean, we saw a queen in the at the end of the second one. OK, right. The, That's the, right. Yeah. The big That's one, right. Yeah. This is the first time we've seen a queen that that has human DNA. I, right? I mean, if I just correctly, this queen is what they took out of Ripley's uh body.
1: Yeah. So- which is why
0: <laughs> she's giving birth like a human instead of laying eggs. And if I was the alien queen, I'd be like, fuck, that was a downgrade, because it seems a lot more painful.
1: So this is the yeah, there this is the first hybrid we see. Yes. I was just trying to yeah, the end of Aliens 2, that's or aliens, excuse me, is when we see the queen with the big fucking head. Uh so yeah. The point of this is we there's, the queen is there, but then also this alien-human hybrid that came from Ripley is born now. And it's a terrifying, gross, green-looking thing. And in a very much Promethean sequence, <laughs> it, it comes face-to-face with the queen. It kind of embraces it. It looks at it just like when the... Um, the architect meets david for the first time and he's yes. like kind of tussling his hair and then kind of and then just rips the top of its head off and so the queen goes bye-bye and so now the hybrid is um after embracing ripley you can clearly see it trusts ripley it thinks it's its mother it's it maternally flocks to it um and but besides that it's just there to kill everybody so it, it creates quite the conundrum
0: It's a baby. I don't think that it's actively aware of the fact that it it, that it's you know it's not maliciously out to kill everybody. I think that it's just you know hungry and maybe later in the movie cranky, but it's not it's not setting out. It needs to eat. Yeah, exactly. And Ripley kind of why babies
1: are crying when they're born. They're fucking hungry.
0: Yeah, and you know uh, sensory overload. You, You were you were in the womb and now you're. You know, in the real world, and Trump is president. It's like it's too much to handle. You have to just (laughs) just (laughs) destroy some shit. Uh, This this new alien, the big, I guess, uh, creation of uh, of alien resurrection. Besides, we're not a writer as an android. uh, He looks a little bit like uh, like the red skull. If he was not red but white, did you get the feeling because of the eyes and the 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 human skull? It's it's more prominent here. You know, it's it's that mix of a xenomorph head with with human skull it's just pretty unsettling
1: yeah yeah it's and its nose constantly has like a bead of sweat dripping off of it it's it's quite terrifying it's got to ruin have you ever seen that (laughs) jesus have you ever seen that uh snl skit where will ferrell is born a fully grown man named ted brogan
0: no that sounds like such a will ferrell thing
1: (laughs) i know you're not quite as high up on the will ferrell train as i am but um that's what I was thinking of during this, but th- that's the joke. Like this woman's giving birth and she's like, just thinks it's normal. And then Will Ferrell, a full grown man nude comes out and he <laughs> he's just like, he's like, God, I'm hungry. Someone give me some boob or something like that. It's <laughs> it, That's what I was thinking of, that this alien creditor was going to crawl up to uh, Danzig and be like, come on, it's it's time to feed. Get <laughs> did the troughs you see what out. I
0: did to my other mother?
1: Yes. So now Ripley is trying to get the fuck away from this thing is any sane human being or clone or whatever we decided on her would do. So she gets to the escape pod. Not before we get one of those awesome nineties overhead shots of someone jumping over a giant chasm. I mean, <laughs> that was like a cliched action shot back in the eighties and nineties. And it was refreshing to see a woman do it.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, Women droids, women jumps, you know, it's, they were catching up they were, we were reaching the 2000s yes
1: we were the computers were about to crash but goddamn it we were going to have a, a <laughs> one last haroness before we yes went out so they get to the escape ship they're taken off but as always there's a breach somewhere the hull or the cargo chute or whatever as it always is is open so call winona Ryder goes to take care of that uh and of course this fucking massive disgusting hybrid gets on board it just dr manhattan's tuco just takes its head and crushes it and then sigourney weaver shows up and just you know talks it down like a mother can um like fucking emily blunt at the end of looper when her son's about to vaporize uh bruce willis and she talks him off the ledge
0: yeah it's uh the relationship between sigourney weaver and this sort of offspring of hers uh it's too complex for a mainstream movie i think uh, even when you bring a french director into the fray even when you have it uh, written by joss whedon you know this is joss whedon at the top of his power before he sold his soul to marvel you know <laughs> like this team was the one that could get the closest but really to truly explore what's going on between sigourney and this new alien that would require a, an x-rated you know 3 hour long movie that that we would never get so what we get here is it's close enough, you know. There's a you can feel the intimacy between them, the the bond, the the love, but also just the the disgust on her. But then by the time that she ends up killing it, she still feels sort of sad. You can see that she she's not 100% happy. It's not like at the end of Aliens when uh she gets rid of the queen and it's just a very clear-cut fist pump fuck yeah moment, right? Here it's there's a little bit of sorrow in it because the 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 eyes of this creature are so expressive and you can just see the betrayal uh, on them when when Ripley kills it. Yeah,
1: it's it looks like um fuck, one of the bad guys from the Super Mario Brothers movie at one point, just like the look on its <laughs> face. But yeah, in, in a very Jason X type sequence, she uses her acid blood to crack a hole in a window as the ship's taking off and of course the atmosphere is going to suck it out. Unlike Jason X, the alien doesn't say this sucks on so many levels before <laughs> it gets sucked out of the window. But yeah, the shame just registers on you as the audience member because it's not just like and get sucked out. It's like it's stuck there and it just keeps screaming and looking at Sigourney Weaver and you just have to watch this whole thing unfold. It's very unnerving. Yeah, and we know the writer's just there like what do I do with my hands? <laughs>
0: Well, it's, yeah, it goes on forever. Uh, in case that there wasn't enough gore in this movie for you, here here's like one final sequence where you just get everything you want because it intercuts from the close-ups of the alien feeling betrayed and shocked to Sigourney Weaver just kind of regretting, partly having done this, to Winona Ryder uh, bracing herself because I'm sure that neither she nor Winona Ryder are 100% sure that they can survive what's going to happen. <laughs> and then... yeah you keep cutting back to uh, to the outside of the ship where you see the the aliens in trails like being sucked out into into space and it's just like a shower of viscera coming out <laughs> it every time that you think it's going to end it's still going
1: yeah it was very gross it's like irreversible it just doesn't stop it's like <laughs> all right just get to the next scene fuck
0: there was a, that alien was bigger on the inside than on the outside yes so
1: it's taken care of. It's vanquished. It is vaporized. It is to forever float through the cosmos in just particles. So around this time or shortly before is when the ship hits Earth, the collision course it's planned. We get an awesome effect of kind of like the impact on the Earth. The main thing that stuck out to me is like right before it lands, you, you see like the inside of the ship, it's like brace for impact, da-da-da. And then like right before it collides there's one xenomorph that pops its head up like a dog that you called its name. (laughs) And he's just like, huh? And then it blows up and kind of made me sad for those guys, but not far behind the crew, the remaining crew of the Betty and uh, Ripley eight aboard the escape pod. They land on earth and now there's a new life to begin. And we see just this wasteland. And apparently they landed in Paris because the Eiffel (laughs) towers broken in half and, Either that, or they landed at uh, Epcot in the uh, Paris Pavilion. Which, if that's the case, that would be even more crushing because then you couldn't get those Grey Goose slushies that they sell there.
0: Uh, this is the only other major difference in the in the extended cut. Uh, you know, okay. it's, it's the beginning and the end. It's it's the same ending, but the the location is different because in the in the theatrical cut, you never really see where they land, not in detail. Oh, really? Like, no, it's just that conversation between writer and uh, Sigourney Weaver takes place inside the ship as they're looking out the window, I think they're, I don't even Hmm. know if they've fully landed yet, but you know, they're, they have that conversation about how they, neither of them has ever been to earth before. And that's just, as they look out, it's less specific, but the intent is the same, which is that if there had been another movie, odds are that it would be at the very least Sigourney and Winona together. I don't know if uh, Ron Perlman would have stuck around, if Dominique Pinon would have stuck around, but definitely the two of them have created this bond by now. Uh, which would make Alien sense. Alien
1: takes Paris. It's just like the poster. It's like a xenomorph <laughs> with a baguette and a beret.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, it's grown uh, an artsy mustache. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then this uh, summer, say we. Oui. <laughs> Ripley is uh, just drinking a cappuccino or something. <laughs> like on a, on a, Parisian a young company.
1: Jean Dujardin would have been like one of the stagehands on the ship that gets killed really early. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's an alien. I'm just
0: trying to drink my wine. <laughs> uh, a fitting ending, I think. You know that last shot, whether whatever cut you're watching, it's just the the two women who are are have sort of they're not exactly human anymore, right? One is a, a a hybrid between human and alien. The other one is a female droid, and this is probably the the, the thing to appreciate the most what this movie did with what's a very uh, you know, it's, it's a trope by now in science fiction, the whole like, Oh, you shouldn't play God. Right. And that's like throughout the entire alien franchise, the idea that, uh, well, humans are stupid. So of course they start like experimenting and doing things. And then death happens because of that. Uh, and so in this case, because of human manipulation, now uh, you have a a self-hating robot and we're not a writer and you have a a sort of, slightly inhuman uh, hybrid between humans and aliens in Ripley. And most movies end there. What this movie does that I really like is that it goes, okay, well, this has happened. Humanity created this. But instead of just ending there and having those creations basically destroy everything, and that's the end of the movie, instead this shows you, all right, well, these things have been created. Where would they go now? What would be their place in the world? You know, it's like if, if Frankenstein didn't end with them killing the, the creature, like Frankenstein's monster, but instead with Frankenstein's monster having to assimilate into society.
1: So in the theatrical one, does Sigourney Weaver still have the last line of the movie where she says, like, I'm a stranger here, too?
0: Yes, that line is still. I don't know if it's the last one. It probably is.
1: And then Answer the Phone by Sugar Ray starts to play over the end credits.
0: <laughs> no, then it goes like. Directed by George Lucas. <laughs> oh
1: yes, written and directed by Reddit. All right, let's move this along to real talk.
5: Amazing. I mean, it's really, really. Um, the ideas in it are very moving. Actually, I mean, um, having the the alien be, you know, the the daughter of or the son of Ripley, and this whole kind of generational thing, and. Then eventually, there's grandchildren running around, you know, um, and and my character, uh, my character's history and what you find out about my character, the big, is really, you know, it was actually very kind of touching. I remember the day that they brought it up to me, you know, and I just, you know, they said, well, they found, they figured out a way to bring her back, to bring Ripley back, and and that they wanted me to play another character in it, and it was just like. And, you know, they were tentative. They thought I was going to go, are you crazy? I'm, you know, but it, but it was like it, it, the opposite. I mean, I, I I love these kind of movies.
0: Okay, I am recording for Real Talk.
1: Bully, I am too. Real Talk to discuss Alien Resurrection, the 55%er on the old Rotten Tomatoes. Very um, much a, a,
0: an apt descriptor of uh, how, how this Real Talk section is going to go. seems to represent the divide between you and I when it comes to this movie.
1: Yes. I have a hard time calling it a Winona Ryder movie because she's so inconsequential in this. But we'll get to that.
0: Oh, We shall disagree once again.
1: Moving into real talk here. Let's go ahead and kick it off with uh, our reviews now. I know you have a couple of quotes you pulled from Rotten Tomatoes. But we also have a few more guests uh, gracing us here on the, the summer of Winona. Hashtag Winona Virus 2020.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, we're just spreading the fun all over the internet and the podcasting community. But first, as you said, Rotten Tomatoes. So I have a fresh quote from Fred Topple from We Live Entertainment, uh, who says, If you prefer the action of aliens, then Alien Resurrection has the next best action of the franchise. If you prefer the horror of Alien, Alien Resurrection is the second scariest one. Oh my God! How do you feel about that ranking, Alex.
1: I would respectfully disagree.
0: And <laughs> in, in every aspect?
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: best action of the franchise. No. Just counting count, no no no. I mean, it's saying that Aliens has the best action and then the next best oh, action would oh, be Alien okay, Resurrection.
1: Then, yeah, but no, I I enjoyed 3 more than this.
0: But action-wise?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's um Yeah, it's not bad action-wise. It's very 90s and I did fucking love the burster scene at the end. That fucking ruled.
0: <laughs> uh, how about horror? See, I would disagree with the horror thing, because to me, the scariest alien is the third one. And that's just because the idea of uh, Ripley kind of stuck in this planet that's just a prison, so she's surrounded yeah. by these men that haven't seen a woman in forever. Like That, to me, is scarier than anything the aliens could do.
1: Yeah, horror wise, I think they kind of go sequentially. I mean, the first one's the scariest easily, but um, or, yeah, or it was
0: until uh, until the or special effects started getting yeah you know, really really hokey by today's standards.
1: Yeah, well, that's where you and I differ. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we go any further, there's this. What was the next Alien movie after this?
0: Uh, probably the first A V P, right?
1: AVP, you fucking Mark. <laughs> uh,
0: Do you really want me to say alien versus predator?
1: I uh, shockingly have not seen either of those movies. Oh. Basically it came to mind cause I was just looking at the alien franchise and sh- having seen this now the the only blind spot in this is alien covenant, but I'm told that's not much of a blind spot.
0: Um, I mean, it's, it's worth watching. It's certainly more worth watching than, uh, the two AVPs, Um uh, Fastbender. If if nothing else, you know, watch it for Fast who does does a lot of really cool stuff in it. Uh, I really I do need to rewatch it because it's the only uh, Alien movie that I haven't watched more than once. So interesting. I, yeah, I feel like in order to really uh, give it zoo, I I need to watch it again. All right,
1: let's. uh, uh oh, let's get derailed continue. here. Let's let's continue on.
0: <laughs> Fred Topple really sent us on a on a spiral uh, digression. With his ranking, with, with his dual ranking of the Alien franchise. Uh, all right. Another quote from David Keyes uh, from cinemaphile.org, who says, This is not a Hollywood space thriller at all, but an intergalactic fantasy driven by the same cheerfully eccentric impulses that have informed a myriad of high-spirited French filmmakers. So he really appreciated the the European tinge, I guess, of, uh, of Alien Resurrection. Did you... Am, am I wrong? Is... is Ridley Scott, British. He is, right? He's like Sir Ridley Scott?
1: I believe so. I can verify that right now.
0: So I used to think that he was just from the States, but... English filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, still, you know, British sensibilities versus uh, French sensibilities. I mean, that's a point to be made. I don't know if it's... Well, I know that it's because I had watched uh, Delicatessen shortly before, like, you know, maybe the same year or the year before Alien Resurrection, came out that when I watched it I could 100% pick up on the, the director's eccentricities and I was like oh this feels like a movie of his you know even if it's just a studio movie but anyway enough of these official critics from uh, Rotten Tomatoes let's go to uh, some more familiar voices and we're gonna start with our friend Joe from Ward Salad Radio
2: when some people think of Winona Writer, they probably think of like Beetlejuice or Heather's, or Stranger Things. Actually, those are pretty great, really great. But me, I think of Alien Resurrection. Alien colon Resurrection, written by Joss Whedon, and just has Winona Ryder and Ripley being badasses, kicking alien butt. It's got everything. It's got underwater aliens. It's got baby aliens. It's got baby aliens getting sucked into space. It's got Ron Perlman. It might have Ron Perlman getting sucked into space. I don't remember, but it's fun and people need to stop just dismissing it out of hand. Unwarranted as the worst alien movie, because that's what we have Alien vs. Predator Requiem for.
0: As you can tell, uh, Joe has also watched Alien vs. Predator Requiem, and he agrees with me, I guess. Also, just so you know, Joe, uh, no, Ron Perlman doesn't get sucked out into space. He survives. He makes it. Yeah. He uh were you surprised actually speaking of the survivors were you surprised that uh one that Dominic Pinon made it all the way to the end? Uh, cuz I thought once he lost his uh wheelchair he was toast. But then
1: it, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hard same. I thought he was going to get um completely like you know eaten in that hallway the first scene with the shotgun. That that surprised me. Um
0: uh, yeah, and then my other surprise was how long Tuco made it. Like, Mm -hmm. I was surprised that he was there almost pretty much all the way to the end. (laughs) That was uh, because he he, I mean, he was not a name. He was not Tuko yet. So that was surprising. Uh, All right. And then finally, let's close with Emily from
4: Tasteless Podcast. People hate Alien Resurrection. It's not Alien. It's not Aliens. It's not Alien Cubed. It is the fourth in the series. And you know what? everyone being a jerk about it kept us from having Winona Ryder as the Sigourney Weaver successor we all deserved. Winona has never been pigeonholed to one genre or one type of character, but I would have loved more sci-fi action out of her. I really enjoyed seeing Winona and Sigourney interact. Winona holds her own with truly the queen of sci-fi that is Sigourney, and that is super impressive. I was shocked to see how deep into her career this movie happened, As I'm sure you guys have discovered during this summer of Winona, but wow, she just made hit after hit after hit after hit. And then this. And you know what? It's a fun movie. Do I wish Winona had played one-on-one basketball with Sigourney? Of course. And it's a travesty that that didn't happen. But if you're a Winona fan and you want to see Sigourney Weaver bounce a basketball, this movie is for you.
0: So a lot of love for the basketball sequence, <laughs> um, but also as far as the where this comes in the Winona Ryder filmography. I mean, Emily's right by now. I mean, 1997. She had been at it for a while, and she had been, uh, you know, in a series of of well-regarded movies. This is, you know, when when we did Mr. Deeds, uh, Winona Ryder was, uh, I mean, yeah, she was second billed, but. It was more of a, a supporting role. And then uh, Beetlejuice, you know, she was just starting out. But I think Ellie Resurrection comes at a point in her career where, yeah, she's second bill to Sigourney Weaver. But it's not like in Beetlejuice where, well, nobody knew who she was. It was like when, when Jennifer Lawrence was cast as uh, uh, Mystique, right? It's like, oh, it's a well-known actor, actress on the rise being given a part mm-hmm. in a big franchise and uh, you know so everybody was if you were not a writer fan you were excited about it you know by then she had done movies that we're going to cover later in December. but you know she had done uh Dracula she'd done uh Reality Bites she'd even done The Crucible uh Little Women you know she had had an Oscar nomination she was established actress so yeah Alien Resurrection I mean it's like it met with mixed reviews but uh and it, as we've Established. She didn't it did not make as much money as The Phantom Menace. But it was still, I think, a pretty important uh, moment in her career. And I'm pretty sure it was her first sci-fi movie.
1: Yeah, it was... I mean, it, it's nice when someone's filmographies always have those kind of odd departures from what you assume is the norm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, she got second billing on this. So I, I really don't... At the time, I don't really think it was close to who had the star power. I mean, Ron Perlman... What would you say? He was probably six or seven years away from being an A-lister,
0: right? This is when is the first Hellboy? Oh, four. Yeah, I mean it, it was.
5: Yeah,
1: I think to me the the novelty of Winona Ryder in this carries it a certain ways because it's not what you come to expect. Uh, I understand that. Yeah, she's made a, a myriad of things, but uh, just like you said, the Jennifer Lawrence analogy—it's just really not something that you'd expect to see. So um, th- that gives it some runway for me the the novelty factor and yeah hellboy was 2004 so it's a few years man it's not good
0: <laughs> so are you saying it's not good it's an alien movie it's not good as a movie movie it's not good as you know sci-fi entertainment it's not it's, a guilty pleasure
1: yeah like I, I i i enjoyed three more than this and i'd be more likely to rewatch that it just, it, like, there's so many loopholes and just kind of silly shit, and, like, the whole she's a robot was dumb, and uh, trying to think of things I, mean, I liked, you, trying you'd to be polite it, about this.
0: You had seen it before, right? No. This is your first time watching Alien Resurrection? Yes. Holy shit. Okay, so did you know that she was uh, an android going in? I did not, no. Oh, holy shit. Dude, that's, like, huge, <laughs> because, no, 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 because the, the marketing for this movie I remember it ruined the fact. I mean, that's a big reveal halfway through the movie, and uh, I remember going in knowing already that she was an android because that was the big deal. Like they 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 kept announcing that Winona Ryder was going to play an android in the new Alien movie, Interesting. and that I mean that certainly changes the experience. Uh, I mean, I still remember enjoying it, but it was just one of those things where. Uh, the movie is designed for that specific plot point to be a reveal. <laughs> if you already know that she's an android, then you're not shocked when she's shot and falls into the water.
1: Yeah, that's weird. It's like the reverse love and other drugs. Like, Wait, she has Parkinson's? What?
0: <laughs> it's like, no, yeah. The marketing kept telling you that Anne Hathaway had Parkinson's.
1: Yes. Sigourney Weaver originally refused to do a fourth alien film when asked why she changed her mind. She replied, they basically drove a dump truck full of money to my house, which I believe. Um, <laughs> apparently, that underwater scene was a nightmare to get done. Ron Perlman almost drowned. I guess, like from what I read, he got knocked unconscious while he was while they were doing some of the underwater stuff and had to be resuscitated. And um, Winona Ryder had. uh I guess an affliction, eh, it's not the right, a phobia of water. I guess she, uh, based on what I read, she almost drowned when she was a little girl. So it was kind of difficult to do that. She apparently was very eager to do the movie. Just the idea of doing a alien movie was very exciting to her. I'm trying to think of other things that I read that stuck out as being interesting. Had you ever read Lillian knew this? Uh, and then I read to verify it. Like, They were going to cut the scene of like the Queen Alien licking Sigourney Weaver's face, and she said she wouldn't promote the movie if they cut that?
0: No, I had no idea.
1: What an odd card to play.
0: (laughs) Well, I can see, as an actress, right, Uh, especially now, knowing that she was not keen to come back for a fourth one... Uh, I mean, some of what I said in Contern's Corner, I I do believe, which is, all right, well, if you're going to bring Ripley back from the dead, you need to just give her... She can't just be Ripley again. She needs to play somewhat different character. She needs to play different notes. And one of those different notes is her really weird, uh, disturbing relationship with, uh, with the aliens in this movie. So, yeah, I can see how Sigourney Weaver would be like, this is what I came back for, and now you're going to cut it out of the movie. <laughs> so, no, it stays.
1: Yeah, uh, that that makes sense. Um, I, I think this is pretty common knowledge. Joss Whedon was not psyched with how his screenplay turned out in this movie.
0: Um, I, I honestly, I had forgotten that that he actually was credited as a screenwriter. I I remember knowing that he had worked on the script, but I thought that he had either been brought in to, to consult, to do some rewrites, but, you know, uncredited, or that his... His original draft had been rewritten so much that he didn't have credit. But no, like I was watching, it's like holy shit! It's actually it just says written by Joss Whedon and no additional credit. So that's crazy. Uh, he is not in the commentary, <laughs> in the Blu Ray. So unfortunately,
1: <laughs> you, you don't say.
0: Yeah, I can't hear. I I thought it it was fine. I mean, you know, I I kind of told you before we started recording my attachment to this movie. I I actually watching it again because I've been watching so long. I I kind of fell in love with it all over again and I was aware as it was happening. I knew that a lot of it just had to do with nostalgia. I I watched this movie when it first came out in theaters was the the first movie, the first alien movie that I've seen in theaters. Actually, it might be well, no, now I've seen Prometheus and Covenant, but you know, I haven't seen the other entries in the franchise in, you know, on the big screen in a theatrical experience, but this one was and like I said, it was from, a, uh, I had the, you know, the filmmaker in me was excited to go see a movie from, you know, the director of the Delicatessen is going to make an Alien movie. Sure, let's go see that. Uh, I didn't know who Joss Whedon was at the time, so that that mm-hmm. did not play a part. But but I was a big, you know, a writer fan, uh, and I was familiar with the other Alien movies. So just that alone, that set of uh, circumstances made it made me excited to go see it. And then when I watched it, it was fun, you know. Uh, I might have watched it in theaters like two or three times, and then, you know, later on home video, uh a few more and uh to me i mean it has there's a lot of cheese there's a lot of uh kind of uh contrived one-liners uh the plot to me it makes about as much sense as the plot in all the other alien movies smart people making really dumb mistakes or getting really cocky and just letting the aliens get the best of them that happens in every installment of the franchise so uh at this point, I I don't hold it against any of the movies, <laughs> any of the alien movies. When when something like that happens, uh, they, I really like the the characters, even though they don't get most of them don't really get fleshed out. What they try to do with the with the call character, with with knowing on a character, I really like. You know, it's a like a said, in the Corner* to have a a, a self hating robot, a, a robot that's ashamed of being a robot, uh, in a in a franchise where the robots have been defined by how strong they are as characters, how, uh, uh, you know, their personalities. And suddenly you have this robot that's uh, all about being vulnerable. It's it's a really, uh, I find it very compelling as an aspect of the movie. I, I think that the movie itself kind of lets it down because sometimes it decides to go for just, you know, silly humor or or just go more for set pieces and other uh then focusing on you know what really makes this character stick but it's still like a hell of a ride uh now did you get the feeling and granted to me it's I've watched this movie several times so uh maybe that's why I, I kind of got this but I got the feeling that on paper maybe on the Joss Whedon draft that that character the writer character is supposed to be more of a badass and then yeah she the seems way-
1: really tepid like she doesn't she's just kind of there that's like I feel she's so inconsequential to this movie
0: well it I, I think she's supposed to be the heart of the movie you know like she's not an action hero uh but but Ripley is no longer human so you need somebody to to kind of care you know to have the humanity and I think that that's where the Android comes in which is crazy because you know she's an Android but yet she seems to be the one character that cares about about the planet about you know, what's going to happen on the big picture. Everybody else is kind of, like, out for themselves. Uh, but when you when you see, like, some of the things that are set up, and even some of her dialogue, I could see how it could have played as more of a badass, uh, you know, like a new version of Ripley. Uh, you know, she has, like, a couple moments, like, when she breaks from Pearlman's uh, knife, or when she punches the, the bad scientist, where I was like, oh, you know, you could have played this with a different actress, you know, you could have played it as, as just a more... Uh, stereotypical, I guess, action heroine, mm-hmm. and then, but to me, what makes it memorable is actually that when our writer is playing it as just just more tortured, more sensitive character, which yes makes her play uh, much less of a role as far as the plot goes, you know, because plot wise, basically all she does is open doors <laughs> you know, for them, and uh, I guess kind of deliver exposition about who Sigourney Weaver is and what the plan is and whatever. But uh, but as far as the soul of the movie, I think that you remove her and you're kind of stuck with a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of assholes. <laughs> including Sigourney oh, yeah. Weaver. I mean
1: that's that's a general at least my interpretation of the franchise is that's a pretty general thing in terms of these characters have pretty poor motivations and you kind of have one shining light of morality. But for Winona, it just kind of was what it was. So apparently Angelina Jolie was offered that role. And I feel like uh, no matter who really played that, if it was just going to be presented the way it was, it wouldn't really mattered. Like I don't feel like Winona brought anything specific to the role of call because, and that's not her fault. I feel like the movie, the presentation was just like, all right, well here's Ripley and here's the alien and here's this new character, but pay attention to Ripley and the alien. I
0: disagree. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm sorry. There was a gap because I thought that that, that you were going to – that there was something else. (laughs) Uh, But I do disagree. I I, I think that actually that that Angelina Jolie, you know, factoid makes an excellent example because I – I mean, I've seen Angelina Jolie play vulnerable, obviously. She's a talented actress and everything, but – just you know uh, the the snap judgment of what does it look like when Angela Jolie plays a part like this, and it's instantly kind of harder, right? A, a, a more hands on action hero. This is
1: this is better than Wanted. I will say that.
0: <laughs> but that's you know again that that's a good example. Like you swap them, you know what does a a writer Wanted looks like, and then suddenly I think that that character is is less hard. Uh, you know, it's a little more—you know—I don't want to say softer, but you know, just more uh, uh, vulnerable. I think that that's the vulnerability that comes with casting somebody like Winona Ryder. I'm not saying that Winona Ryder is the only actress that would have brought this to to this uh, to this character, but there is a very uh, specific decision in casting someone like Winona Ryder versus casting someone like Angelina Jolie, right? Angelina Jolie is is an action star. It's like casting another Ripley, like casting Linda Hamilton. So instead, you cast an actress that's not known for this, and so she brings something else. You know, She brings a, a, more of a, a, of a normalcy. So that's cool. And, and like I said, you know, you need that because Ripley is no longer Ripley. The Ripley that we love, the Ripley that kind of kept us uh, together in the other three movies when everybody else was being selfish or out for themselves, uh, that Ripley's gone. Now, my main problem, actually, with this movie, uh, as I was re-watching it and taking notes and everything, is that I was having a hard time keeping track of... What Whether briefly. it was Sigourney
1: Weaver or Glenn Danzig,
0: <laughs> dude. I honestly I had to Google image Danzig just so I could get the joke after you texted me that. And oh yeah, I, that. And, and then I laughed. That's
1: not my. <laughs> that's not my joke either. Like that. That's a, a long-standing internet thing. Typically, I didn't think was like a really apt comparison until I saw this movie, and I was like, "Good lord!" Keep in mind, I. <laughs> I'd much rather have sex with Sigourney Weaver than Glenn Danzig and I'm sure she's far 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 more palatable a human being than he is but the uh the aesthetics were in in line in this movie.
0: Yeah, I like I said only after Google imaging did I get that. But uh no, uh, my my thing with Ripley here is that I had a hard time just keeping track of what she was after. And maybe that is something that got lost from whatever the original Joss Whedon script was, because he's usually better than this as far as character motivation. But, uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I just felt like using the excuse of, oh, Ripley is a clone that's kind of an alien now, they they use that in the movie to just basically have her act randomly, right? Sometimes she's working yeah. with them, sometimes she's working against them. Uh, so It's so you- fucking
1: stupid. It's so dumb, dude. Like, the whole she was incinerated at the end of the third one and it's clear the whole thing like i'm imagining that's probably her first thing is like i died at the end of it it's like well we're going to clone you and then and then they got the samples to clone her during the you know 36 hour window or whatever that she was impregnated with the the chestburster and so that annoyed me to begin with and then on top of that you're exactly right they make her this clone that's not really human and it feels like every 20 pages on the script, they would forget that she's not supposed to be a human. So they would make her do something random that like showed that she wasn't human. And then she's got to have the the acid blood that melts shit. And I mean, obviously, I'm not. Breaking news here. Sigourney Weaver is a very talented actress and I think everything was asked of her in this movie. She pulled off fine. I don't think there's any bad acting in this movie. Any complaints I have would be about writing and the way things are presented. But at the same time, it's just so disjointed. And yeah, I'm basically agreeing with you. I'm just being way more uh, visceral about it. But um,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I don't mind her as a, as a character that basically drives a plot, but I think it's a shame. You know what I mean? Like I... I if if this movie was a hundred percent focused on Ripley and she was acting this way, it would drive me crazy. But because you have the space pirates, uh, even the ones that are underdeveloped, I I find them entertaining enough that I don't mind when Ripley's just acting really weirdly just for the sake of the plot. Uh, yeah. So I I can, but but it's still noticeable. And I know that I mean, there's a that key moment in the story when she finds the other clones, and. You know, I guess you're supposed to read it as this is where she wakes up. It's a a wake-up call. She's been kind of fucking around, uh, going back and forth between, am I going to help these guys, or am I with the aliens, or whatever? And then when this happens, she suddenly seems to get a jolt of, I don't know, her personality back, or at least some sort of direction where she comes out of that, you would think, uh, very determined to just move forward and and just get out of here and save Earth or whatever. And uh, that's not quite what happens, right? And then when... I wish that there was there was more clarity about what was going on in her mind throughout the movie uh because it's such an important turning point towards the end right when she falls into that alien orgy <laughs> and and then comes face to face with the queen and the and the new alien baby and all that stuff uh I think that if I had a better idea of what's going on in her head I would enjoy that scene a lot more it would hit me a lot harder a lot you know but as it is, it's just kind of uh, uh, emotionally inconsequential. It just moves the plot forward, so that's probably my biggest problem with it. But uh, I really like the the this crew. It sounds like they didn't make much of an impression on you, but I I actually get a kick of just I don't know just the little quirks. This is this is quirks on a level that works for me. You know, like uh, the uh, Ron Perlman being the kind of alpha male asshole and. Uh, gary from csi being kind of like the techie assassin guy uh michael winkett which you know gone too soon in this movie but i thought that he was cool as a captain he only gets like a few scenes but i I thought that the the cockiness that he's exuding and his dealings with uh with the crew and with dan hidea was cool the one character that's just a complete throwaway is that uh the hot pilot who's there just so that uh michael winkett can give her a a foot massage <laughs> and then she dies underwater.
1: Okay. So that's whose ass that was. I was trying to figure out who that was in that scene.
0: Oh, you thought that he was just uh massaging a random person or maybe Ron Perlman. He Just <laughs>
1: picked up some strange on the, on the ship there. Um, some yeah, cadet. and that's all fine. This isn't, this is certainly not a movie that I'm going to argue with you about. Like, um, like we've done in the past with other movies it, because it's, I don't care enough about it. It's just kind of, to me, it's, um, it really felt like a alien. We want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to try to introduce these this new cast of characters and this new generation of alien, but we got to rely on Sigourney Weaver too. So we keep having to pull the story back to Ripley when, in fact, we should be centralizing the story around this Call character that could be like the new Ripley. Like there's movies, and of course I'm going to blank right now on one, but you can pass the torch in a scene, and you don't have to. I'm sure you can think of a Marvel movie that has <laughs> uh, someone
0: not Marvel, but I can think of a uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull.
1: Oh, fuck <laughs> off!
0: Or uh, live free or die hard. Neither anyway, of those stuck.
1: <laughs> no, but th- there's a way they could have had, uh, you know, Ripley anoint call the the lead of the movie in the first act and then carried on with you know winona at the helm because it's not a resurrection it's just um what it's just it's alien recycling that's what this movie
0: is (laughs) um that would have bothered me though but that's that's a very personal choice i am always annoyed whenever there's a passing of the torch it i think that that's one instance where i'm very resistant to change uh Obviously, if it's a if it's a franchise that I I have a connection with, if it's a franchise I don't care about, like you know, fucking James Bond, I don't care. You know, you can have like a gazillion James Bonds, and whether it's just recasting or actually passing the torch, I don't care. But uh, any time that I've been uh, following a franchise where it looks like it's going to be passing the torch, I always I'm always trepidatious about it. Uh, recently, you know, there's a, I think Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is the one where it was rumored that Tom Cruise was going to pass the baton to. Uh, uh, to Hawkeye, to Jeremy Renner. And, uh, hell yeah. I mean, it was, they set it up about as well as they could, but in the end, they didn't do it. And I was glad because, I don't know, it's, I, I think that I, I feel like there is a, uh, you have some sort of contract with your audience. And the Alien franchise, for example, you know, it can go, it can change wildly, but in the end, up to a point, you're going for Ripley as much as you're going for the Aliens. You know, up to a point, obviously, you know, by the time you get to Prometheus, uh, that's something else. But I think that one of the reasons why I don't react negatively to Prometheus is because it's a prequel and it doesn't mean that you're going to stop seeing Ripley in future movies if they wanted to. So in that sense, I I don't mind, you know, even if you did an alien movie now without Sigourney Weaver and with a completely different, different new character, that's fine. I, I think what I don't like is the passing of the torch. That always bothers me. You know, If you had this in this movie or in whatever movie, uh, Ripley dying and then another character picking up the mantle, it would just annoy me uh, because it just makes me feel bad. I don't know. I, I I can't. I'm like you. I'm drawing a blank as far as a movie with a passing of the torch where, where that works and I came out of it satisfied. Yeah.
1: Even still, that was basically me just trying to, cons- uh, to kowtow to what the movie wanted and uh, having Sigourney Weaver. I mean, you could have just made this without her i mean for all the the shit that alien three gets in a lot of cases justifiably so and as something as a tried and proved narrative on this podcast one way to my heart is to have a definitive end to a character uh <laughs> and that i thought three had that and that was very good i so agree with this if with this it just kind of it seems unnecessary. That said, and even considering that it sounded like her um, temperament going in or um, mood, approach, whatever word you want to use, probably wasn't – her morale wasn't the highest doing it. I still think she's great. I I was only partially kidding in Contrarian's Corner. That basketball scene is pretty hot. I mean, if <laughs> if it wasn't Ron Perlman, if it was like um, – shit, I don't know. Michael young, Jordan? My, no. I was going to say like uh, – a young Gary Oldman. God, that would have been hot as fuck. <laughs> or, like, if you had Idris Elba in there. See, there you go. That's that's the sexiness that Idris Elba and um, Charlize Theron had zero. There was, like, none of that chemistry there. But you give me <laughs> Idris Elba and Sigourney Weaver, that's, like, borderline actual pornography right there.
0: It's a really cool scene, too. Did you, Oh, okay, so everybody knows this, I think. But maybe you don't because you just watched this movie. Did you know that she actually made that shot? That's not special effects when she shoots, when she makes the the basket, like when she throws backwards.
1: Funny you bring that up, Julio. I have right (laughs) in front of me. Sigourney Weaver made the behind-the-back half-court basketball shot successfully after three weeks of basketball practice tutored by a basketball coach. Her conversion rate during this time was one overt six shots, but the distance was much lower than it would have been in the actual scene. When the day came to shoot the scene, director Jean-Pierre uh, Jeunette wanted to have the ball dropped in from above rather than wait for Weaver to sink the shot herself, which, quote, would have probably taken about 200 takes. (laughs) Weaver insisted she could get the shot in herself and was allowed to do so. Though it is commonly said that she sunk the basket on her first attempt, it actually took her endless takes to complete the stunt. Jean-Pierre gave her one last try to sink the basket before they would give up and use CGI or a second ball. The very next take, Sigourney Weaver successfully managed the trick. Ron Perlman broke character and began smiling when he saw it, and people on the set started cheering. The editors looked at the shot and decided there was enough room to get the scissors in. Weaver was excited about making the shot, but Jeanette was concerned audiences would believe the shot to be faked due to the ball leaving the frame. Upon Weaver's insistence, he kept the shot in. Weaver has described the miracle shot as one of the best moments of her life after her (laughs) wedding day and the birth of her daughter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, I, I already knew about this. I like got heard about it. And then, uh, of course, they discussed it in the commentary. It's uh, in the commentary. They say it was less than 200. I, I'm assuming that truth is somewhere in between, uh, you know, yeah. six and 200 because I think they say six. But basically, it, it's, it's the gist of it is the same. Uh, Jean-Pierre Genet was like, we can't spend too much time on this, but Sigourney Weaver convinced him to try, and he's like, okay, well, you have this amount of takes, and then we're going. And then she she nailed it on the final shot. Uh and yeah, basically I I tried, I kind of like frame by framed it to see if I could catch even a glimpse of Ron Perlman breaking character. But you can't see it, obviously. I mean, they kept it, they kept that shot until the very last moment, but uh but yeah, it cuts away really quickly.
1: Ron Perlman's so whimsical in this. I mean it- Sons of Anarchy and Drive, kind of, you know, uh, maligned is not the right word, but definitely it made me scared of him. Drive in particular. So when I see something like this, where he's like kind of cutting, cutting a little bit, and he's got a bit of a jib, it's um, <laughs> it's refreshing. He's uh he's also one of those guys. He's looked exactly the same for like thirty years. It's uh, remarkable. Um, so. Yeah, I guess kind of circling back, my complaints about this movie, one, it's boring, which is, you know, astonishing to pull off in an alien movie. And then, but none of my complaints, I should say, have anything to do with performances. I think everyone does the best they can given the situations. I just feel the writing, or at least the way the writing was interpreted and put to film is fairly weak. And i do not like the alien human hybrid at the end. I understand that's kind of logical oh, yeah. where it goes, but like it looks so hokey and dumb.
0: Um, you know, I, I know the odds of you rewatching this are, are slim to none, but I I would say that I had the same problem with it, and it's not until this final rewatch that I actually didn't mind it, maybe even appreciated how fucking weird that thing looks. Because I always felt watching it. Especially, you know, the first few times when I was watching in theaters, I just hated the way that it looks because it doesn't look like an alien. It kind of looks like a, it looks like a baby. Like those fucking eyes are just, you know, not what I wanted from the final monster in the movie.
1: I was just gonna say the thing is like it in comparison to the xenomorph, it looks so cartoony. Like yeah. the xenomorphs are like fucking terrifying looking, and then this thing's just kind of like uh, okay. It looks like something that you would fight in like a Super Nintendo game that's like uh, targeted towards kids. It, it doesn't. It, there's no like abject terror about it.
0: Well, I, I think that there is, but it didn't hit me until you know this time watching it because there is something disturbing on a different level about the how this creature is emoting. Uh, it's a different kind of horror, you know. The, what what the filmmakers need to happen in that final sequence and uh, what you need is a monster that can portray that can act in a way that you understand its attachment to ripley and all the emotions going through it you know the rage and the betrayal and the the tenderness and all the stuff and so unfortunately that meant that they had to create this really off-putting looking creature that like i said it took me so many views and years to actually like this time Kind of understand. I was like, yeah, it's really off-putting, but I think that that's how I'm supposed to feel. Is it what I was looking for for from an alien movie climax when I first came to Alien Resurrection? Not really. And for the longest time, if you asked me what was the thing I liked the least about Alien Resurrection, I would have told you that it's that the final monster is stupid. It looks stupid, and I don't like what they did with it. But now I, I can I can think of ways where it could have been pulled off better. But I at least understand now where they were coming from. And I can see how uh, I can appreciate how unsettling it, it is to me uh, without calling it a flaw necessarily. It was like, no, those those fucked up eyes and the way they're emoting are supposed to make me feel icky. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I can go with that. It's definitely, you know, if I could pick, I'd rather just have, you know, a badass monster coming after Ripley and Call and the rest of the crew and them having to fight it and whatever, rather than have this climax that's more, you know, emotional and uh, it, it just kind of internal. Because uh, in the end, you know, the way she kills him is just nothing. You know, it's got nothing on, let's say, the, the end of uh, Aliens when she's, you know, using the machine to fight the queen or even the, the end of uh, Alien 3 when she just basically kills herself to, in order to kill the alien. So so I can see, you know, it's it's... It's shortcomings, but also at least I can appreciate what they were going for. Uh, but that is kind of a well-known sort of popular opinion, just hating on the on the monster. And I completely understand, you know, where where people are coming from, yourself included.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I'm hitting all these points that I didn't even know were points. I guess that's how far removed I am from the Alien franchise. I it's, am so... I really... I'm,
0: I'm shocked, dude. I thought that you'd watched it. I I'd had no idea this was your first time.
1: It's really weird, too. I remember, you know... I've, on the past few episodes, I've talked about going through my toy collection and whatnot. I remember playing with alien toys when I was a kid, which is always funny, too. We talked about that in the Terminator episode. <laughs> these yeah. movies that are not meant for kids have like these, the whole marketing campaign behind it was, hey, let's make these toys. So I remember playing with them. And one of my favorite, the favorite thing for me personally from that came from the alien franchise is uh, it's no longer with us, unfortunately, but the great movie ride at uh, Movie Studios at Disney had. Uh, basically for those of you who don't know, it was a ride. It was basically like a tour of the history of film and a lot of MGM films and things like that. And there would be, you know, animatronics of scenes and movies singing in the rain is a big one, but there's like one part. In the ride where it takes you through basically like a corridor of the alien movie, like one of the hallways of the ship would be. And there's like an animatronic of Sigourney Weaver, like, you know, ducking in and out, and the lights are flickering. And there's a big xenomorph that comes down from above, and the intent is always, ha, scare you. So that's like my sentimental attachment to it. And that obviously is specific to no movie. It's just kind of like a presentation of it. I say all that to say I do have. A place of warmth in my heart for the alien movies at the same time it's not like my affiliation to Friday the 13th Star Wars you know those movies that I talk about on a pretty regular basis the Terminator franchise in that yeah I was able to go uh over 20 years without seeing this or really knowing much about it because to me it's the first two and then it's the re- like there's just these other movies
0: it's like Terminator
1: <laughs> and yeah well, no, cuz I, I, oh, right. I do love Terminator 3. Yeah. So, but there's really no equivalent to that. I enjoyed 3 when we watched it this one not so much. I do like Prometheus. I know I we talked about that a lot in our commentary track. I do like it, but with this it's just kind of like it's it's funny. I think I've said this a few times. It 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 feels to me so much like a movie that would have come out in 1997. Like at that point in my life, I didn't really give a shit about movies. I was still a little kid and just, you know, worried about playing outside and watching wrestling and But also just the aesthetics of it. It looks like, you know, speed and um, some of those other action movies of that time frame we've done. Just the appearance of it. I will compliment it that it has not aged as poorly as some of the other movies we've done, even with its reliance on uh, practical effects. Like I don't like the way the monster looks at the end or the alien, but like the xenomorphs and that monster at the end, they all they look presentable and not laughable (laughs) that that was like one of the things of three i remember we called out because like the cg in three is just fucking horrendous yeah so uh but with this you know some of the things i read um peter jackson brian singer and david cronenberg were amongst those that at one point were in talks to direct i i mean david cronenberg hell yeah why not make a really really weird alien movie all about it sigourney would have just like plugged her finger into Winona's USB port (laughs) and like they would have just started making climaxing faces at each other. Um, I mean, it it made money back. I, I, we got so far into this. I didn't even get to go over my usuals. It came out on November 26, 1997 budget of 70 million with a box office return of around 160 million. So, you know, it did its job and it's not like the alien franchise is dead. And it's not like anyone in this is hurting for money. So I guess that's the thing. I, I don't I didn't dislike it passionately enough to be like, fuck this movie. But at the same time, it just yeah, had no interest in watching it again. Not to say like, you know, I always call this movie Saturday afternoon matinees on a rainy day. If you're fl- flipping around the channels and if I come in. At the last thirty minutes of this movie on HBO or something, I'm absolutely <laughs> going to watch until that chestburster burster scene happens, where it goes through the doctor's head, because that is so awesome. Um, yeah. But yeah, at the same time, I admire your adoration for it. But that's I'm good. I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty reserved on my feelings on it. I think um, I, I would prefer three over this if, yeah. if you know I had a situation where I had to rewatch one.
0: Once, uh, once quarantine it's over we we go back to some sort of semblance of normality and i have people over uh at the house for something uh you can expect alien resurrection to play in the background just for funsies well
1: shit you invested in the the blu-ray for this project so i would i would imagine so oh yeah
0: yeah I, i i actually i like it a lot i i i think that maybe the key difference between your experience and mine is that i don't find it boring i i have a blast watching it uh I find, like, all the little things that, that should bother me barely bother me, and I just go on with... I, I think it just... I, I really like that the crew. That that first shot, when they first arrive into the Hedaya's uh, ship, and the gate opens, and you see all six of them kind of, like, backlit. You see their silhouettes, and they're all kind of, like, striking a pose. It's just... It's so silly, but it's also just so cool. I don't know. <laughs> It just—I think it's pitched exactly at the l- frequency that I need it from this kind of movie. But let's go ahead and and, and rank the alien movies because it's not like—I mean, you know—we're gonna do our whole Winani's later. But as far as alien movies, I was thinking, tell me, give me your ranking of the alien movies. I guess we can include Prometheus in there. But also, perhaps more importantly, give me your ranking of alien droids because you know you have Ash in the first one, you have uh, Bishop in the second one, and somewhat the third one. Uh, You have Winona, Call, in this one. And then you have David in Prometheus.
1: I need to watch three again. Uh, But I would, you know, it's pretty easy. I'd go sequentially. Uh, Well, if we're including Prometheus, so it would go Alien, Aliens, Prometheus, three, and Resurrection. Man, Fossbender's so good as a droid. (laughs) See, that's the problem here. It's like, I don't feel like there's any... Well, you talked about it, the self-hating droid thing. Um, There's that scene, too, where, like, it really threw... Because she's like drinking with the crew too. Oh, Later she in, like, she's acting like she's drunk. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, uh it doesn't feel like she's trying to act like a droid in this and obviously that seems by design, but yeah, I would probably uh for both enjoyment and droid ranking, we'd go Alien, Aliens, Prometheus 3 and 4.
0: Really? You like you like Ash that much?
1: Yeah, I mean Bishop's great too. Again, I think I need to just go back and watch these all back to back to back. But, like, the first one, to me, stands on a different plateau than I- anything else.
0: I, I need to rewatch the first one because it's been a while. But I to me, I would put uh, David, Fassbender, goes first. But he has the benefit of just being, like, I don't know, out of all the droids, he's given the most complexity. Then I would put Winona because I really like the, the, the aspect of, like, just the self-hating vulnerability. And just the fact, that line where she says... That she's programmed to care, so that's why she can't help herself. That's that, I think that's awesome. Uh, then I put Bishop, which granted Bishop's getting the short thrift here because I haven't watched Aliens in forever. And then Ash at the end, because Ash to me is just you, you know I mean he's creepy and everything, but he's just kind of like uh, your standard bad guy. So uh, I'll put Ash at, the, Ash at the end. And then as far as the movies, Man, Fassbender <laughs> up front. Yeah, I, I, it. dude, I love. I, I just told you like the main reason to watch Alien Covenant is because Fassbender gets to play a dual role. So. Uh, yeah, he's great. Uh, movie-wise, I think I put Aliens first, then I think maybe Prometheus, then Resurrection, then the original Alien. No, then Alien 3, and the original Alien at the end, which I know sounds like sacrilege, but wow, I just don't have the connection to the original Alien that other people do. And it might be because it's that's out of all of them. That's the one that's the most like a horror movie, and you know, horror is not really my genre. So, I still think it's really good. I, I, I like everything that that it does but i i find all the other ones a lot more exciting
1: well that is the end of the contrarians <laughs> <laughs> it was a good run with that being said our usual rankings um i will say a c minus
0: for me oh dude this is uh i'm gonna give it four stars jesus it's it's just it's, you know, with all the bias completely uh, acknowledged, you know, this is just a movie that maybe if I was coming into it completely fresh, if this, if I was watching it for the first time right now in 2020, I might react differently, but I can't really separate the baggage, which is a good thing for me. You know, it's like I it adds to my enjoyment just it to me watching it was like visiting with with old friends I hadn't seen in a while. Yeah. <laughs> But also, apart from that, you know, like I said, I like it for all the reasons I listed. You know, I like the I like the characters, I like the performances, I like the visual style. I, I as '90s as it is, I I think it has a little bit of a tweak that's just very much Jean-Pierre Jeunet. And uh, you know, someday either we'll do it on the show or I'll I'll just uh, dare you to watch either Delicatessen or or Emily, and you know, can you you'll be like, oh, this looks like something that was hundred percent made by the guy that did Alien Resurrection. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to go with four stars.
1: Your whole rigmarole there sounded like me reviewing empire records, to be honest, <laughs> closing things down with plugs. We have our perennial plugs, uh, the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks and also some supplemental tracks during the summer of Winona. Our usual theme song that opens us up is last stand. And they always take us home with summer of 99. Check out the festive for any and all festive years needs.
0: Yes. Uh, this time, uh, they're gonna be taking us out with not that cool, just from uh, their their album AOK. We mentioned, you know, we're gonna be just kind of going through some of the tracks of that album during the summer of Winona because it sounds like fun. Hans Roth designed and executed our logo. He's a fellow podcaster. He's also a novelist. He is a man of many talents. You can visit his website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Or you can contact him on Twitter at Mildemonios or email him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. He uh, has written a series of zombie novels. The most recent one is called Requiem Por Ludin. They're in Spanish, so if you know Spanish... You can enjoy them, or you can practice your Spanish by reading them. You can also practice your Spanish by listening to his podcast, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs that's available in every podcatcher. Uh, or if you only speak English, you can listen to his other podcast, Living in Peru, which is on iVox, and that's about immigrants to Peru when there is not a pandemic preventing people from traveling.
1: And as we've started to make a habit of doing here, I want to give a special shout out to Zoe Perez, who helps curate and operate our Instagram and social media accounts and really helping making posts more interactive and things like that. She's got a, a knack for it that Julio and I lack, so very appreciative of Miss Perez.
0: Yes. Also, when we finally, finally get uh, some Contrarian t-shirts to you, uh, they'll probably be uh, thanks to Zoe who's <laughs> been looking into that. God bless. For one final time this year, it's time to talk to you about the live stream for The Cure. Uh, this should be releasing on May 20th and... That means that we're 10 days away from our appearance on the Livestream for the Cure, but we'll talk about that after this promo.
1: I'm Nick. I'm Justin. And I'm Brian. We are the Epic Film Guys. We want to let you know that the fourth annual Livestream for the Cure is only a couple weeks away. Every single dollar raised goes to the Cancer Research Institute to help us fight for a future immune to cancer. And once again, donations
3: will be doubled. Join us May 27th through the 31st for 48 hours of content from creators around the world. Please help us spread the word so we can smash our goal of $10,000.
1: Please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com to make an
0: early donation and to learn more about the event.
1: Together, we can make a difference.
0: Alright, so Livestream for the Cure. Alex, we're almost there. I have already watched Sliver a couple times. Once, a long time ago. Then recently, when I uh, just re-watched it to make sure it was appropriate for uh, for our segment, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I look forward to watching it a third time when we're getting closer to our, to our spot. So 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on May 30th. That's when we're going to be on the last one for the cure. We're going to be talking about sliver. We're going to be giving prizes to be raffled among our, our donors for that segment. Uh, one of the prizes is a sliver Blu-ray signed by Alex and myself. I would recommend you watch the movie before listening to the to the segment. If you can't get to it, I'm pretty sure you'll want to watch it after you hear us talk about it. So we'll provide the Blu-ray, uh, and then uh, also a notebook full of my contrarians' notes. It's a lot of stuff. It's a pretty, uh, I would imagine, fun look behind the scenes. Uh, we would include Alex's notebook, but it was lost in the hotel uh, long <laughs> ago. <laughs> uh, now, Alex, I know I've, I've I might have mentioned it to you directly. I know I talked to Nick about it. Basically, what we're gonna have is, I think we have about fifty minutes to do this uh, this liver episode with Nick, because they're doing you know ten minutes for introductions and stuff, and then ten minutes as a you know cool down and transition to the next segment or whatever. Uh, I was thinking that we should approach this more like what we've been doing when we do uh something like the Terminator franchise episode and uh you know back then when back when we did the Chris Columbus episode or the uh, uh Rob zombie episode where we don't really break down the plot in a sort of chronological manner but more like we we talk about it in big thematical uh points you know what I mean like you know we'll we'll yeah. we, we won't take too long plot wise we'll just talk about like the main things the main points that are uh, contrarians relevant uh we can, we can kind of like talk about it more off mic, but I, I, I think that that would be a, a better approach that so way. We don't, we don't run out of time because I would really like to get some real talk also on the segment. I think last year we kind of ran out of time before we could really delve into, into the real talk for uh, basic instinct too. <laughs> and Probably also for the best, but yeah. Yeah. And also I, I don't have it with me, but we can think about this, but, uh, just for you listeners, you know, I would like to try to make it a little more interactive. Our format doesn't lend itself to much interaction with listeners. Um, uh, you know Sam and Stacy from Movie Reviews and Twenty Qs. They have a a segment, and there there's a lot more interactive because you know they have questions that they answer, and also the people on the audience can answer them. We don't really have much like that but i was thinking that uh, after you and i watch the movie but before we go on we can come up with like two or three questions that at some point during the segment we can throw out to the audience and, you know just to kind of like spark a little more conversation it's it's liver and it's sharon stone in the 90s so there's a lot of sexiness so maybe we can at some point throw out the question hey if you've seen the movie what was your favorite steamy sequence or whatever i don't know we'll figure it out but just so you know, if you're gonna be uh attending our segment and you should, just be ready to kind of pipe in and, and be uh you know, just be part of the fun that way.
1: Hell yeah. Excellent. Can't also, wait for that. we were gonna
0: save for it for, for as a surprise, but uh we will have Sharon Stone joining us. <laughs> She's got
1: uh, nothing else going on. She's gonna hop on Zoom.
0: Yeah, it's like we'll still be quarantined by then. So
1: All right. So closing. Yes, give personal me, plugs. Give or- me your plugs. Oh, I don't really have much going on. Uh, point being, I, I don't want to take any of the attention away. We lost a very uh, funny, funny man and a big part of um, someone who shaped what my sense of humor is and what I look for in good comedic performances. And uh, to me personally, I, when I posted about this on Instagram after he passed, uh, to me, I think he's the funniest man that's ever lived. And that was Jerry Stiller. Uh Lived a hell of a life and lived, I believe, 93. So he lived a good, full life. And um, sad to see him go. So uh, my plug this week is go out of your way, King of Queens, Seinfeld, you know, do what you need to do, uh, hairspray, either one, because he's in both of them. Uh, <laughs> Watch something with Jerry Stiller. He was a, a gifted, gifted, gifted performer. And by all accounts, a, a good, genuinely good human being. I saw Michael Richards. Who never has been on social media created an account specifically to uh, pay tribute and memorialize Jerry Stiller, and um, Leah Ramini, of all people had a really moving and touching post. Like I said, I think I think Hulu might even have a playlist right now of uh, his greatest best, hits, um, best uh, Frank Costanza episodes from Seinfeld. So uh, there's really not much more I can say about him. So rest in peace. This week, take some time to watch something he did.
0: RIP uh well we're on the on the RIPs I honestly I already it's you know life is pretty crazy now and I I thought that you were gearing up for a, a Fred Willard shout out because he passed what yesterday two days ago yep and uh I love them both but obviously that one I think hit me a little closer because uh you know I've been watching him more uh, more recently it's been a while since I've watched something with uh the Jerry Siller but Fred Willard he has a current character in Modern Family. So even though he has a career that spans, you know, countless movies and TV appearances or whatever, when I saw that he had passed, I was like, holy shit, it's Phil's dad. That was like my first yeah. thought. So yeah, it sucks, man. But again, you know, you're talking about two guys that lived long, fruitful lives, live, you know, leave behind a hell of a legacy. So, so that's cool.
1: Uh, what is on deck next for the summer of Winona?
0: Well, next, we go back to the, the numerical episodes, and we go to a movie that neither of us has seen. This could be this could be a disaster, Alex. I don't know. Lost Souls from the year 2000. 8%. Honestly, I when I was building this up, I had in the back of my head that this was uh, one of the movies she made post-Mr. Uh, Deeds, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Year 2000, so this is pre-Deeds. Uh, but at 8%, I mean... <laughs> i don't know i all i know about this movie is that uh it's winona and ben chaplin i don't know if you've ever seen a ben chaplin movie but i have not recently but he he was a thing at some point and uh (laughs) and i read that she refused to do publicity for the movie so god bless yes i guess we'll see it would be awesome if uh if we end up liking it, or at least one of us. Actually, the greatest thing would be if you end up loving it and I hate it, because that would really uh, (laughs) turn this Summer of Winona dynamic uh, on its head. So far, no clips from anybody about Lost Souls, because I don't think anybody has seen it, and if anybody has seen it, they have no interest in talking about it.
1: (laughs) They don't want to fess up to having actually ever seen it.
0: Yes. (laughs) I mean, that might change in the uh, the few days we have before we record the episode, but I I guess we'll see
1: alright well that's on deck but that is going to do it for Alien Resurrection Uh, we do as always appreciate y'all listening to The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time